Oh, tickle. I hate tickling. It's getting nearer. Nearer. Can you you feel it? Because it's the Uncut Gems podcast. (laughs) (laughs) A weekly show where we talk about movies that no one else wants to talk about. You don't don't understand that you didn't see your own face. No, I wasn't looking at my own face. <laughs> uh, I don't want to get, catch a glimpse of the devil. This is <laughs> okay. We're embarking on episode 142, and my name is Pazuzu. Sorry, my name is Randy. And I've been drinking since six. I am, and my name is Jakob. <laughs> uh, so very pleased to announce we're not alone. Jack Luke Sharp is with us as well. How's it going, Jack? Oh, it's brilliant. I'm really excited to talk about these two films. And your opening gambit, your impression was quite haunting as well. And uh, if you've ever got a career as a double within an Exorcist franchise, maybe they'll be calling you up in, a, in the next yeah, year or so. <coughs> Worked on it all afternoon. Constipated George C. Scott. It was not, in other words, nothing. just George C. Scott. George, yeah, exactly. It was a good secondary impression. No, but I'm, I'm really excited to talk about these two. Like he's bloated. The man likes his yeah. drink, doesn't he? He, well, he does. Looks like he holds he on ages, to a lot of water. He ages <laughs> yeah. a lot. I watched the film The Formula, which was from 1980, <laughs> and he ages a lot to get to the film that we're talking about later today, Exorcist <laughs> 3. He ages a lot in the 80s, I'll say that. Anyway, we'll get to that in a moment. Let's just quickly go through our announcements. So pull out your bulletins, um, and we'll Please share what's going on. Here on the main show, we're beginning our October theme today. It's Demonic-tober. <clears throat> Specifically, it's William Peter Blatty's Demonic-tober. And we're going to be talking about Exorcist 2, The Heretic, and The Exorcist 3. Uh, head on over to our Patreon page, though, www.patreon.com slash uncutgemspod. We just released our tie-in episode a couple days ago to our demonic tober and that discussion is covering 1973's the exorcist it is a free episode go check it out go tell your friends about it it is unlocked and the exorcist well that's the film that we believe sort of changed horror forever and of course that directly leads into our conversation today so if you go to our patreon you can sign up for just three dollars american three euros three pounds Per month, 450 Canadian, and you can get access to. There are almost 70 conversations in there. We I think we've got around 70 episodes in there of just us talking. And uh, normally, what you would find there would be more classic films or entries in the various marathon projects that we've been working on. We've got an excellent catalog of discussions. There's a full David Lynch marathon in there. Uh, we're nearing completion. Hard to believe, but we're nearing completion of our John Cassavetes marathon. 
And we've got an impressive roster of Steven Soderbergh's better known films on our Patreon as well. So those are two projects we're working on over on Patreon this year. You can check out our most recent Cassavetes episode, Opening Night, that was released a couple weeks ago. And then in a couple more weeks into the future, we're going to be releasing our episode where we discuss Gloria. And our most recent Soderbergh shallow cut uh, came out two weeks ago, I think, at the point of this release, and that was Logan Lucky. It's got to be a sound bite in there. Fuck yeah! <laughs> there it I is. I started drinking at 6 a.m. Oh god! Fuck yeah! <laughs> right on. So. Did you hear the ambulance pull up? <laughs> I need an ambulance. Fuck me. <laughs> okay. So go check out our Patreon. Um, or if you just if you're not interested in checking out the Patreon, you want to leave us a one-time donation, feel free to do that. Kofi.com slash Uncut Gems Pod, ko-fi.com. Or you can leave us a review wherever you uh, found your podcasts. That's an appreciated gesture. Or you can drop us a line just to connect with us. You can uh, find us uh, via our socials. Or you can say hi by dropping us an email, which I believe is uh, Uncut Gems at uncutgemspod at gmail.com uh, or you know what you can just spread the word a little bit tell your friends about us and you know i've i've said it before recently but i'll say it again if it's if it's not our turn to be nice to us just turn around and be nice to your neighbor so we're trying to channel the spirit of arnold schwarzenegger and terry fox and what we do here a little bit so do something nice lift someone else up if you're in a position to do so all right cheat cheat on, on your wife with your house mate oh, <laughs> Be careful how you emulate what, Schwarzenegger. What would Arnie do? Arnie, Arnie would buy you know, the, the help. <laughs> the, the well, well, maybe we should leave it at that. All right. That's a canon Let's get into event. This. That's a canon yeah. <laughs> What? <laughs> it's a canon event for him, isn't it, that? Oh, a cannon. Okay, I thought oh, like, yeah. there's no, a cannon. No, not group. No, no, no. I mean, like, I assume he's packing, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, we're getting into our discussion of William Peter Blatty. Um, we talked about The Exorcist on our Patreon, and that film was just too successful to not spawn a franchise, which brings us here today. We're going to be talking about the 1977 and 1990 sequels. So let's start today's service with John Borman's 1977 sequel to The Exorcist, which is called Exorcist to The Heretic. Let yourself go down deeper. Listen to your tone and make it go deeper. 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 Get to the hence. She's mine. Always. No! Always. 
always. Father, please bring her back. Exorcist 2, The Heretic, was directed by John Borman. It stars Linda Blair. She's back. Richard Burton, Louise Fletcher, Max von Sydow was convinced to return. Katie Wynn, James Earl Jones. There's some others in there. Interesting that the music here is done by Ennio Morricone. Very <laughs> interesting. Um, the story of The Heretic is that a new investigative priest is on the beat. This is Father Lamont, played by Richard Burton, uh, following in Father Marin's shoes from the original. And he's actually asked, so Burton is asked by a cardinal to investigate Father Marin's death because the church is starting to think that Marin, in fact, was a Satanist. So Father Lamont is summoned to perform an investigation. The investigation takes him to Africa, where he meets a boy who supposedly defeated or at least warded off the Pazuzu demon. Um, and this boy also grew up to become a guy Darth who likes Vader. hanging out in his living room wearing a grasshopper cosplay outfit. So there's that. <clears throat> oh, it's going to come back. <laughs> I think it's it's got to be mentioned early and often. Anyway. Uh, the investigation also takes him to meet uh, Regan. So this is Linda Blair. She's back. She's 16 now. Um, and she's been working on her wellness after the events of the original with a psychiatrist. That's Louise Fletcher, um, who's invited. Who, of all sorry, people. Who's in, of all people. <laughs> who's invented, <laughs> and she's invented, I guess, some sort of co-hypnosis device called a synchronizer. Uh, which allows Father Lamont to enter the dreams or the psychic realm of Regan at the same time. I don't know. They they network, and it, to me, it's sort of like a multiplayer VR thing, but we'll get into it. Um, and this leads to a showdown between Father Lamont and Regan <laughs> and the Pazuzu demon. So that's, that's her story, give or take. Uh, behind the scenes on this uh, project, neither Blatty nor Friedkin wanted anything to do with it, at least not originally, because... Um, in the few years, the first few years after The Exorcist, everyone was squabbling over profit sharing from the original. So there were lawsuits with one another, with Warner Brothers. Uh, so they were out in terms of this the sequel. So there was an early effort to make a sequel that would basically have remade The Exorcist almost as is, uh, but but do so on the cheap. It would have been something in the three million dollar budget range, but that didn't end up taking off. So. There's a playwright named William, Go uh, sorry, William Goodhart. He was commissioned to write a script, and he did. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to he wanted this to be the story of a battle between good and evil again, but on the plane of human consciousness, using a synchronizer, whatever that is. Kubrick was offered this film, and he said no, thank you. Um, John Borman was approached, and he, interestingly, he had been offered. He said yes, please. <laughs> oh, he was all over this. And see, he had originally turned down The Exorcist back in the day. Um, yeah, he did, didn't he? But he was all over this. I'm not this. letting this one go, he says. <laughs> yeah. So, so he signed on, he directed, he co-produced, and he liked Goodhart's ideas, but he didn't really like the script. So he asked Goodhart to do a rewrite, and Goodhart uh, politely refused. He said, no, this is, this is what you get. of his heart. <laughs> so Borman and a buddy of his who uh, Rospo Pallenberg, now he's an editor who is connected to all kinds of films, so a fairly famous uh, editor. I think he worked with Mike Nichols a lot. 
Um, so Rosbo Pallenberg and Borman rewrote the script, um, but this was happening in the last days of pre-production and actually as they were getting production underway. Ellen Burstyn flat out refused to be part of it. So did Linda Blair, but she finally signed on after she liked the initial Goodhart script. And then she would later say that with all the rewrites that were coming in and all the changes, the, the script just steadily got worse and worse. Um, Sidow was asked, he was reluctant to sign on, but he ultimately did show up and he appears here as Father Marin in flashbacks. Um, the role of Father Lamont, this, so this is the lead role in the film, had several actors considered, Christopher Walken, Jack Nicholson, David Carradine, John Voight, uh, but it ended up being Richard Burton who got the role. And Burton admitted that this was nothing more than a paycheck film to him because he was in the middle of a divorce from Elizabeth Taylor at the time. So he was in dire straits and uh, he needed some money. So that's his story. Project began with a modest $8 million budget, but it ballooned to around 14 million. Borman had even more elaborate ideas um, than he was able to uh, you know, get, uh, get accomplished because he wanted to shoot in Ethiopia. He wanted to shoot in the Vatican. None of that happened. Um, and in fact, the production was refused permission all kinds of places. They weren't allowed to shoot in different streets in Washington. They weren't allowed to shoot on the famous exorcist steps. The city of Washington said no. So they were turned down all these places. So what ended up boosting the budget a bit was they had to recreate all of these sets. So there was extra time that was going into, you know, building stuff. Um, the production, the production was a bit of a hot mess. Uh, Burton would frequently get drunk over the course of a shooting day. That was sort of standard operating procedure for him. Linda Blair, who apparently had a drug problem, um, sort of on her own time, she was regularly late. So there was one day she showed up and she was only 20 minutes late and she was really proud of herself. Uh, so she was regularly late. Um, Borman was sick for a month. And the first diagnosis was syphilis. And I guess his wife was really upset to, to learn that. But it turned out that it was a rare tropical fungus. But this shut down production for weeks. I was just like, that made, that made it all better, by the way. She was like, it's not syphilis, honey. It's a rare, it's a tropical, rare tropical fungus. fungus. <laughs> so uh, Louise Fletcher and Kitty Wynn, they both had gallbladder attacks. So they were missing from production for a few days at a time. And they even brought in these special crickets and locusts. And as soon as they got these special imported locusts for certain scenes, the locusts started dying off in mass. So just all kinds Peter, of Peter random things. Were, yeah, <laughs> all kinds of things were sort of happening uh, that were messing things up here. So um, further, Borman couldn't always get compliance for things that he wanted on set. So Linda Blair refused to wear demon makeup. So they had to get a, a, a double for, for those scenes. Uh, Blair and Burton were, would refuse to do an amorous scene because they felt that they were more like father daughter, but there was a scene that called for, um, I don't know if it was a full on sex scene. We don't know because Borman caved and he just has this sort of brief little amorous exchange between the two. Um, and the locusts wouldn't even swarm properly. So Borman was going around cutting off the crickets' legs so that they wouldn't land and they would just keep swarming. So it was just... Oh, very Lars von Trier. All kinds of just sort of bizarre little stories. Anyway, The Exorcist, um, it did two. Sorry, Exorcist 2. There's no The the Heretic. It did have a, a significant launch. It 
had a decent opening, $6.7 million. It made $30 million. It made a profit. But compared to the original, this was deemed a major disappointment. Audiences hated it. Most critics hated it as well. Gene Siskel famously gave this zero stars and called it the worst <laughs> film at the time that he had reviewed since taking the job. Um, but there were also a few people who sort of liked it, such as serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer, who really liked this <laughs> and the other sequel. Um, and Pauline Kael liked it as well. Uh, so yeah. there you go. Um, like, you know, like, subscribe to our patient to find out what I think about Pauline Kael. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> And I'll add this, some filmmakers sort of rose to uh, defend uh, Borman in this. Scorsese said that the film, you know, although Borman may have dropped the ball in some areas, the film deserved better than it got. Tarantino apparently liked it. So there's that. Boys, where are we on Borman's sequel? Is this worthy of judgment and disdain, or does it deserve our love, compassion, and forgiveness? Jack, start us off. Oh God, where do we get into this? Um, so I saw this many years ago and didn't think neither for or against it. I think it's a very mundane type of film. Um, executed very poorly, but at least attempts to go for something that's quite highbrow. Now, I think just just as a, as a plain Joe type of horror film, I think it's, it's not only is it slightly boring... But it's unatmospheric. It's just it's quite horribly shot. So for me, it would be drastically as as a one star film. Now, having seen it on the on the on probably just within a week of seeing the original, and looking more at the Exorcist stuff, um, listening to Free King, watching documentaries and stuff, um, I've I've watched this once again with a keen eye. And really, the problem with this film is that it's the antithesis of what the first venture was. And the problem with that is that going against something that, and I agree with you too about The Exorcist being a before and after, you've got to follow it up with something bigger and louder or not at all. I just don't think it works in that you you, you make the mundane. I think hiring John Borman, who, whose credits that, you know, aside from Point Blank, uh, you know, it goes into a quite an indie highbrow um, venture with something like Zardos, which he chose to make instead of the original. So that to me is a massive concern. The fact that they got Linda Blair back would be one that gets people um, on seats and get gets people to sign on. But the, the big temptation here is that who are they going to have as a lead? The, the, what, what worked in The Exorcist is the fact that it didn't have major stars i think freaking's been um or even blatty has even said um, on um in print that you know we couldn't have brando in the film or jack nicholson because it became their film this is the exorcist the film is about horror it needs to, it needs to be a staple of that it needs to indulge within well, it itself to be realistic not... yeah precisely realistic with yeah. with like i don't know don't see scott in it <laughs> yeah exactly so, uh, so I do, I do think there's a there's a temptation there. That they knew that they wouldn't have the highbrow technicality with the director, so they went for the old age staple of bringing other parties in, and trying to make something different. And ironically enough, that's exactly the same thing they've done now with Believer, um, which again is the antithesis of what made the first one work. So this franchise no is spoilers. doomed. I'm going to, I'm going to. See no, 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 I'm, I'm not. I'm, just, you know, no, no, there's no spoilers there. Respectful. I think we all know. We all know it's a, it's going to be a piece of shit. Um, but the, the the problem with this film is that it attempts to be um, it, it attempts to be an Exorcist sequel by not indulging 
in what came before it, which I think is is somewhat gracious and then somewhat incredibly disappointing because at either side, you look at it, let's have a look at it from the point of view that it does something different. And if you look at the letterbox reviews, the top one is that this is a terrible Exorcist film, but it's a really good Italian giallo film. And I agree with that to a certain degree. If this was by Fulce or Argento, then this would be a three-star, four-star Arrow video release. But because it's got that pre... um, conceived attachment of being an exorcist film and then we look at the latter and we look at the well what connects us to anything else we've seen before they make some really ludicrous choices in here in, in order to inner contextualize this film in having a really important um piece within the mythology within the first film and that's to me where it dooms itself for me get rid of everything get rid of the max von Sydow, get rid of Linda Blair, and then re, re, repurpose this if it wants to stay in Georgetown or move it somewhere else. This film is preoccupied of wanting to create mythology and then explore it and does nothing with either venture. And the more I watch it, the more frantically disappointing it is to be shot. The, the, the production design looks shocking. And I remember reading about this and people were like, the, the first meeting of, the, of uh, the reason why this film was going to be made was that it was going to have a priest go around to the pre-existing characters that it had who survived, interview them, and then through flashbacks of pre-existing footage Freakin's film, use that. And really, mm-hmm. it never really evolved from being a cash grab. And granted, I will say this, I can understand Scorsese's take on this, saying that it, it looks at a different viewpoint of what, of what God means and what faith means. That's all well and good. And I, and I appreciate the Tarantino point of view of, of being slightly contrarian. And, and this film is always going to be doomed within its own, own self by by having to come and battle against the house that built it. It's, it's like the Jaws sequels. If you've got lightning in a bottle once... You stay away so from different. the Jaws sequels, <laughs> no, but, okay? And, you know, but granted, that they have, the, the, the reason there is that they oh, knew what damn. worked and they carried on a story where this is just... This, the sequences yeah. in here where I'm just like watching thinking like, not only is this ludicrously boring, nothing's happening. Why are we playing psychics? What? Why does this doctor look eerily like Ellen Burstyn? Like it's just everything here <laughs> yeah. is manufactured to a point where it's just it's just boring. It's the the, the cardinal sin, regardless of of its genre, regardless of what it was going to be and what it should have been. It's boring. It's so unentertaining. From and it's and it's and it's like. Two hours long. It's like, I think it's an hour and fifty-eight minutes, and you just watch it. It's so fucking boring. And I watched this with my wife, and obviously we watched the first one. I remember t- telling you guys with the snippet I put put on the the Exorcist podcast, and it was just like lying. It, it was so courageous to watch something on screen or on the four K where it looked and sounded so different. There's just no atmosphere in this film either. There's no sound design. I'm, I'll go move on because I'm going forever. But but generally, my first opening thoughts is. I cannot believe how boring this is from a director who, from the work I've seen, is not afraid to put something on on screen and and and, and you know be a little bit boisterous of it. I mean, point blank, what is one? It has a really good visual aesthetic. This is so fucking boring on visually, tonally, thematically. It's just it's conventionally it's just so ludicrously shit, and it all comes down to just being completely flat. But be, I mean, if there's a contrarian in the house here, I'll, I'll eat my foot. But I don't think we're not going to disagree on this one for the first time in a while. I'm waiting for Jakob. I am. I'm going to be okay. honest because because if he goes that route, yeah. uh, this might be an early exit for me. I'm telling you because I cannot argue <laughs> with him. 
Well, let's let's see. Baton is passed. Go ahead, Jakob. Where are you on this? Look, I um, I can't believe you've been that like you've been dancing around this for so long. It's kind of like I'm feeling I'm feeling like I'm watching like an Austin Powers film where Austin Powers is drunk in a minefield and he's just like just like almost stepping on a landmine. I'm just thinking, like, how like, how did you not come up? This is gonna be my letterbox review for this film, directed by John Borman. The Exorcist to the Heretic, Heretic is a is a bore, man. Fuck <laughs> 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 yeah. This movie is goddamn unwatchable. Like I tried so hard. Like holy shit! I keep, like I, I'm watching this and I'm actively understanding why this guy had this sort of sneak preview that Friedkin got rolled into it and and Friedkin just really tried not to go. By the way, right? And then just like, this guy stands up and does you the know. People who made this piece of shit are in this room. <laughs> Angrily, he's just pointing at the screen and just demanding human sacrifice. I really, but I really think I understand where he's coming from because holy shit, <laughs> it's not even like you know, like I, like I see like most Scorsese, I'm like, eh, you know, it's it's not the same, but you know, <laughs> is he a Liver- Liverpoolian? Is he a Scouser? <laughs> Such a puss, puss, this guy. Like, like, holy shit. No, this, this, look, we're, we're probably going to get to it, but all I will, all I will say, like, I, you know, in some way I'm in awe of how they managed to get Max von Sydow back, Linda Blair back, <laughs> Louise Fletcher, right, straight off of winning an Oscar, right? No? Ish, yes. Yeah. Is yes, nineteen seventy six. She got an Oscar. Yeah, or for seventy five films, seventy six. So within the next year, she's cast in this. Yeah, yeah. So just about still just riding that wave. Way long before she had to take a Toby Hooper Invaders from Marshall. She when she ate a goddamn frog. Okay, still <laughs> just <laughs> riding. Like this is this this movie is why she had to take that role. Okay, <laughs> Richard Burton, who looks like he really needs a drink. He doesn't. Yes. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like. What do you mean? <laughs> as in, like the money went on on the makeup, and they didn't allow him to have one, and he was really pissy. <laughs> like these high caliber performers, you can see how they're just like. I can't believe this. I'm just like, what? like they're reciting a high school play, and then there's. Like, it's not even funny. Like, it's so bad. It's it's not even funny, funny. Like, you know, like, we're going to get to how, like, I suppose, how you take an all-time, once-in-a-lifetime once singularity and try to milk it like a cow and turn it into a franchise, I think. I hope. Like, I know Randy. Randy <laughs> Randy's Ran, Randy's running this show like an absolute pro. Like, I, like you know, like, I started this bitch and now, 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 now I can just sit back because this is just in good hands, okay? Because I know this man just asks the right questions. He comes prepared, not like me. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so this is probably going to be a point of, of conversation, but I'll just say, like, look, this is... And also... How this movie is almost two hours long? You fucking tell me, tell me. Like this is, you know, it's so bad, really, really bad. Like it's 
look, I, I'm, this doesn't happen for me because I, f- I feel like, you know, sometimes I tend to be almost too flowery for my own good. And sometimes I feel like someone's going to listen to this one day and I'm, I'm, I'm going to end up in a hearing somewhere at work. Who's <laughs> 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 just like, these send by your statements for t- from 2021. Like, oh, sure. Are you really sure? I mean, I, yeah, I say what I mean. I mean what I say. I'm a fucking Pacino, you know? Uh, that's good and here's your p45 and uh (laughs) see ya um where was i this movie is a pile of crap it's 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 bad it's unwatchable i don't understand i mean i think i understand how it got made but like honestly it just makes you makes you think twice about how like badly some actors probably can manage their finances or they don't know what they, they they probably all like live in the world of unsane they sign shit that they didn't read right and they're just like all of a sudden like end up on a set of of a, of a movie like this and they have to pretend that there are priests hacking with a saw and on at something or just pretending that you know like the locust is making a difference or like like james earl jones going like sure i'm going to put on a fucking grasshopper outfit for this you know <laughs> like how does it happen? I don't know. This like there are movies that documentaries are made up made about, like you know, uh, the Island of Doctor Moreau, which is a great movie. In well, how now. bad it is? No, it's a bad movie that's fun. Okay. Oh, it, uh, true. That is one of the films that I laughed most at. See, in theaters, exactly that. But this and Shyamalan's The Visit, for what it's <laughs> worth. <laughs> but this, like this, like woman just putting her head in the oven. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, like some films are so bad that, that you can find five stars in them, you know? Like, I look, I, get, I, I stand by my four out of five, four and a half out of five, I gave Jaws the Revenge, okay? Oh this my is God, a, Jacob, this is a, stop. Absolutely. It's a terrible film that's worth four and a half stars, okay? It's a... It's a. It's somehow people made a fan film on a studio budget, and then mm. it's so weird enough. This, this shit doesn't happen. Okay, it, they, it's like this sort of documentary Raiders about these sort of three dudes make, remaking Indiana Jones. Only they do it with studio money, and they're supposed to know better because they're all seasoned filmmakers. And someone this thing turns off. Anyway, back to the Exorcist sequel. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Randy, you tell me I'm wrong. Tell me this is a four star masterpiece that you can. They they did so bad it's good. And I'll what tell you that you need, need a medic. We need to get a medic in here. Well, that conversation is not going to happen in that fashion <laughs> because I, I don't like this film either. Um, what I'll say in terms of my my own first impressions, I, and I'd never seen this before. This was something that I guess oh, I avoided my, my whole life, managed to. Um, but actually, Jakob, you said something in our, our uh, Patreon discussion on... The Exorcist, which got me to thinking because we were talking about what's scary and we're talking about what what made people uh, nervous and scared and old (laughs) films in the cinemas. (laughs) But what we hit on, (laughs) what we hit on that you led to was the idea of there's a subsection of scary called unsettling and you can take something like deliverance and is that sort of the start, in a way, of the cinema verite <laughs> that is getting under people's skin because it's immersive, which is why the first film works. So I watched Deliverance again this week. It had been forever since I'd seen it. And it's a great film. John Borman, great filmmaker. Then I watched his next film, Zardoz, which is just the most pretentious, 
piece of detritus that I can think of. <laughs> oh my God, that is a chore. It is so busy. There's so much going on. <laughs> I care about none of it. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, really, it's it's Sean Connery running around in a red diaper. You know, that's all it is. <laughs> is it a diaper or is it a mankini? Please tell me, because I have so not seen that. And at this point, and at this point, you're not yeah, selling it. <laughs> it's a mankini, and you know, sometimes he's he's got the, you know, the belts over his shoulder uh, with the with the bullets on it, and that's red as well. So it looks like, like Chewbacca. No, it, yeah, well, but with that being red and with uh, the red bottom, it looks like a banana hammock. He looks like red Borat for a little while, but he's got this long ponytail. Anyway. It's just a pretentious mess. And all I'm thinking is, how is this the deliverance guy? So this is a guy that I think he cares about ideas and themes. And when I watch Exorcist 2, The Heretic, I see a guy that is just in love with this idea of let's go under the synchronizer and let's exist on this other plane and let's find a demon there. I think that that's the big piece in here that Borman is interested in. But, Jack, you were alluding to it. This is just so far removed from the original. It is it is just, I don't even know what it's grabbing from the original. But what it's missing from the original is The Exorcist was immersive. The horror comes from dealing with a sick daughter. And, or, you know, just facing your own spirituality and, you know, God and devil. And that was a very tangible concept for a lot of people. So it's so immersive and it could be happening across the street. And we talked about it in the Patreon episode. This sequel has no concept at all of why The Exorcist worked. And frankly, like when you hear Letterer, the producer talk and how they wanted to do this sort of, uh, you know, quick, easy $3 million remake of it, they don't care. It's just a cash grab. And I think that's that's <laughs> a shame that there's not even a major effort uh, to try to make to make this work. But that you've got Borman and Borman comes in and he's, ooh, we're going to be doing synchronizer hypnosis stuff. And we can have this amazing set design where it's we've got all like these patients. Simpsons. <laughs> we've got all these, we've got all these patients in their own little aquariums. What a cool set right out of Zardoz. Just it's like, what is this place? Anyway, yeah, Borman is interested in stuff, but he's interested in his own dalliances, and I, I don't even know what. Like, it, it's not scary, not a great film. <laughs> so that's my opening take: is that I was <laughs> watching this from Deliverance, Exorcist, Zardoz, Exorcist Two. This is sort of my <laughs> uh, my timeline for the week. So, um, but maybe just to sort of lay off the hate a little bit by way of starting our conversation is I was trying to think, I was trying to think of if there were any other, maybe outside of the universal monsters, are there any other horror sequels out there? Or is this sort of uncharted territory maybe? So they they don't know what to do. In 77, because I was thinking the Omen 2 is 78, Jaws 2 is 78, Dawn of the Dead is 78. So I'm thinking in a way, this is uncharted territory for let's make a franchise based on horror. You know, there might be some exceptions, but certainly in a contempor- from a contemporary standpoint, you know, do, should we cut this slack, uh, a little bit of slack because they don't really know what they're doing anyway. And how do you extend, how do you uh, make a franchise out of this? 
Well, the answer is you don't. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of how I, I'm going to put it. Because, like, name, name me a sequel to a horror film that's better than the original. Probably doesn't happen. Um, oh, especially in the Evil era. Dead 2, yeah. But even then, it's, it's 20 years later. It's, almost or 10 years later, anyway. Well, and, and, and it's also, essentially a remake of the first an, film, anyway. It, exactly. <clears throat> so, it's one of those that is just like, you can actually just, you know, like, split hairs over what's going on. But problem is, it's not even that how you how how do you do a sequel? How do you franchise a horror? They don't know, and they they yeah. I mean, they I think they have an idea that would probably permeate into the into the genre anyway. As in, like they latch onto what? Okay, what's the thing that we can franchise here? What's the thing that is going to be the connective connective tissue, the DNA mm-hmm. of the sea? And then they say, Pazuzu, you know. That's going to be the thing that we need to connect by way of Pazuzu, the demon. So this demon's going to be the thing that kind of keep, keeps reoccurring in the series. And then I'm not sure if it has any any sort of enough staying power to do so. I'll just say it that way. And also I'm just saying that just like you were talking about John Borman going like, ooh, come in, come in here. Just they got the guy. They think, look, the first one was this sort of this brilliant movie that unsettled everyone. And this guy came in here with Deliverance where... People got exposed to the scene where a guy gets fucked in the ass by a bunch of hillbillies, right? And he goes like, Borman goes like, this is a, this is my chance. I'm going to sodomize the biggest horror ever made, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's just that's any, and sodomize he did. <laughs> but I, w- I would say just the, the idea of making a franchise is completely new, you know, and it, it's a different discussion, and I'll, I'll ask it when we talk about the film that was released in the 90s because I think there's a lot of 80s horror culture which sort of feeds into maybe the creation of the third one. But there's nothing here. It's a bit of a reach, and I think you're exactly right. How do we connect this? What's going to connect with audiences? And I guess at least on getting something greenlit, getting a project mm-hmm. going, the idea is, well, we're going to have you know someone possessed, and it's, and it's Pazuzu. But I think that totally misses the boat because the reason that the first one works is because it's a horror that could happen in your very own kitchen or to the family across the street. And, you know, so I, I, but I think too, maybe to a point in fairness to the execs and, you know, the, the brain trust at the time, they didn't know how to recapture this uh, in, in any sense, you know, because any sequels, I think like you have some dirty Harry sequels and, you know, you had the uh, in the heat of the night sequels, <laughs> such as they are, <laughs> but they're just cash ins, so that they, they well, don't they, don't, they haven't really no no this is, <laughs> but they haven't really figured out how to uh, advance things along. And maybe if there's something that deserves a little bit of credit, maybe Borman at least has a sense of world building. Let's oh, you know Jesus. Well, no, let's like mythology could, building is this thing that's going to connect this franchise. Jesus Christ! Right. So like he's got this theme of you know well be a good locust and you know good people change the world. So there's a few they brush their wings together. Oh, <sighs> cheesy, but like that's where this that's where this film lives, and this is totally mm. you know Zardoz level of uh, you know writing Christ. in my mind, but. That's probably the the piece that you know. How do we how do we keep this going? What what will people be interested in? And they're missing the fact that The Exorcist was special for the reason of its immersiveness, not yeah. the name of the demon. I mean, it tells you this. Producers don't know exactly what. Like these people have no idea. They're making these films. They they spend money and they make money. They have no idea what makes them good. 
Okay, anyway, John, yeah. Jack, you were saying. I'm going to shut No, no, I mean, no, I completely that. agree yeah. with you. The, 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 the <gasps> one thing this film manages <laughs> probably angry. to get away with is it, the expectation of what did they do with the material? It hasn't really been done into a... Uh, granted, the, the Universal Monster movies did them, but obviously were diminishing returns, and the monster was the thing here. It had iconography. Here it's a little bit different, and because you've you've R-rated yourself into a box, but you've made a lot of money, I think the option to do that again, logistically, economically, is not probably going to be um, uh, profitable. So I can understand, on, on a very much of the sense of the word, like, yeah, I appreciate the fact that they, they're in open water. But in the same token, like, like Jakub said, that, that there's just such um, a, a dissonance between this film and the previous. And also... You know, as a studio head, I can understand the economic um, virtue of, of having this as a franchise. Don't get me wrong, but if you've got William, if you've got William Peter Blatter, the writer, and you've got William Freakin, the director, getting together, and both of them saying, "There's nothing really we can take this forward and do that that will be suitable for our, our our objectives and and something that will appease the artistic merit," then it's got to be a sign that if you can't get the hierarchy to come back. It's probably best that you don't touch it, and I think to bring John Borman in th- for me personally is quite a backhanded compliment to this franchise because there was a sophistication with the first film. Freakin, it could could have directed that just as a as a as a slock fest, really just as, as something w- that was undermined itself. But it had a restraint to it where that it really felt like you were with these people. We were seeing this rise. You know, James Wan does it with the Conjuring f- uh, films now. It, it's something that contemporary. We get a lot of, but here, the vulgarity of it was constantly just slowly but surely built up, and we got to understand these people. I think John bringing John Borman in is just like getting a quick fix, and ultimately, that's the sort of identity he brings to the film. Um, the first opening, we get the quick fix of a of a of a, like a, a semi exorcist um, exorcism, sorry, um, which is just like mm-hmm. horribly short, um, and then we get bang straight there. We get somewhere else. We get like it's constant quick quick fixes, and it's like this this feature is just purely connected to that sort of thematic. Financially, it's a quick fix. Uh, cinematically, it's a quick fix. There's so many strange decisions here. Again, with a production designer said like quick fix. Let's get something that looks different, and all and the audience will know that's different. But it doesn't prolong any 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 muster any thought. The first film is very interesting about morality, and I think it's an interesting film that. Even conventionally, it, 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 it breadcrumbs a saviour to that film in Father Meron. And when we get to the third third quarter of that film, he is not the saviour of that film. He, he can't save them, he's dead. So there's then a muster up of what, what happens next. So there's there's this really interesting flair with character, genre convention. Here, I don't think anyone had any idea. Of, no, sorry, I, I think everybody had an idea of where this was going to lead to. And I think that the final act of this film, not jumping on the gun here, but the final act of the film also defines this this feature as a whole in that it's just leading to one set piece that just has no idea what to do. So let's blow it all up and let's walk off in the distance. It's just everything about this is just a, a cultural, contextual, thematic dissonance to what made the, the first film so Im- Im- impacting. And granted, it's, it's hard to connect the two together because... You know, the, the first film is sort of a majestic piece of cinema, but nevertheless, this is a sequel to it. You can't then mis- misdiagnose this to be like, oh, well, it's like this. No, it's a sequel to The Exorcist. And it's like what Jakob said, 
there just there's just seems to be no thought process how to tangibly feed this into the first film and what it does and it almost shits on its grave that there's a mm-hmm. sequence where we like there's an intertwined moment where it tries to create credibility and emotive connection to a pivotal scene in the first film the audiences weren't shown but granted what it doesn't understand is that the reason why that wasn't shown is to define is to deny us the conventional urge of the see, the hero coming to save the day because he's a white uh, uh, not necessarily white but he's a white catholic man who who, th- who the film breadcrumbs that knows this demon that he's going to save it. it's not the case yet here it has to sort of make and also as well the fact we don't know what goes in that room contextually also um, elevates that material because there is a real serious affright then and then then what happens with father Karras? there's then a, a genuine like grasp of horror this film it's like the halloween see um halloween films are rob zombie i think adding too much material and trying to create a mythology within itself is almost detrimental to the material then because we get to know things that left to us our own devices are brilliant and i think not to jump the gun again but it's a, it's an aspect of the third film that's far more appreciative on that way where it's it describes everything it doesn't show it here it is a constant notion of showing the audience visually everything why are we having a locus pov why are we then showing what james old jones character looks like why, why are we showing because everything fuck you, that's why yeah, exactly. Zerdas. <laughs> it, it's like it's like this. Yeah, it's, there's a, there's a means for visual flair, which contradicts the first film. There's so much bright energy here. There's so much bright colours. Not even not even bright colours, but muted with a bright tone up. Whereas the first film always secluded you in dark blues. So even even the colour grading here, even the set design, it's like it's almost as if someone was given the money and went make us Exorcist sequel. And this person thought, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make antithesis of it but then what's the point it just feels by its own definition we're gonna do a dance routine in the spirit of the exorcist yeah exactly i mean yeah that's that's a really good point actually why why is she tap dancing as a a character treat you said he said to her on set i think the day before you're gonna learn to tap dance she was like what it's like why why is she in that scenario in new york um in in that building with with the with with the kids it's like what (laughs) It just, it all feels look, this like movie random... makes Poltergeist 2 and 3 make look like the Godfather sequels. Yes. <laughs> yes. Borman has a Borman has a flair for the pretentious. So I, I would add <laughs> like, like it's his superpower. Yeah. But you know, like I'll, I'll say this. Look, like if you watch Jaws 2, and I'm pretty sure like I'm not the biggest fan of Jaws 2, because I kind of feel like I have way more fun watching the the other sequels, even though I know like Jaws is an untouchable film. Like there's no there's no debate. Just as um, like The Exorcist is an untouchable film. Just as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is is an untouchable film, right? You can't mm-hmm. like it's like you can't follow it up. Like Halloween, you can't follow it up, right? Mm-hmm. There's no such thing like it. Nothing like it before it. Maybe with Halloween there's an exception because Black Christmas came out. But anyway, the point is right. Like you can't make a sequel and try to live up to the legacy. Or li- li- just try to come close to the the quality of it. Like you're never gonna match it. So you might as well just either do something fun, do something interesting, um, or just just take or at least try to. I, I don't. I don't know. Um, capture some 
crucial part of the original that made it special and try to uh, not necessarily capitalize on it, but but maybe build on it right and they they took the one thing that really didn't really make it special the mythology no one gave a shit whether yeah. the Pazuzu was was like a Persian demon or maybe he was from Mesopotamia who gives a toss okay mm-hmm. and then you look and then you look at Jaws 2 and you could maybe just infer like if you have never seen Jaws and watched Jaws 2 you could possibly maybe imagine what Jaws was like but better right same goes if you watch if you watch the Jaws like the like if you watch like Halloween 2 you could infer what Halloween was like more or less, right? With the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is a bit different because I think they actually do do make a decision to go off kilter, which is interesting in its own right. But in here, like you watch this, <laughs> and then try to guess what the Exorcist looked like. But can just you tell me? <laughs> yeah, no, I th- I think you're you're totally <laughs> onto something there because, and again. Maybe a little bit of forgiveness goes out to the the filmmakers and the execs because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to make a franchise because it hasn't really been done in the the realm of horror at this point. Um, so the idea is how do we just further the story from the first one? And Borman loves the idea. Oh, this is happening in you know some sort of cerebral plane, you know, because the characters are hypnotized. That's friggin' awesome. So that that's what he sell it he, to me. <laughs> Send it to me. Just imagine I'm like, you know, Daryl fucking Zanuck, okay? <laughs> just I'm not, sell it to me. I don't think I can We're sell in the that. Lift. We're in the I lift. can't sell you have anyone, one minute. <laughs> I can't sell anyone that concept except John, John Borman. <laughs> because it just there's there's no it's, weight to it, at least for an audience. Like there, there's no connectivity to it and we'll, we'll get to it with exorcist three like, where vladdy <laughs> thinks that he can connect it to a couple of the side characters from the first like one jesus but we'll Try. we'll get to that like it's yeah like but as you were saying is like so many sequels the idea is let's just sort of redo the first one but the the redo isn't going to have nearly the you know the charm or the innovation so you know the it's a the law of diminishing returns. Halloween two is not going to be as good. Um, you know, slashers get less interesting over the eighties. This type of thing, but The Exorcist, yeah, feels nothing like the original because they're Borman's going his own way. And I would wonder if um, the original the original screenplay actually might have been something doable that might have fit. And Borman's like, no, no, we got to change all this stuff to make it more like. Zardoz and you know Planet of the Grasshoppers and because this this is the nonsense level I think that he's working on I think it's all Borman total fucking bullshit yeah could be earlier you 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 brought up Jaws 2 right and in all seriousness if John Borman made Jaws 2 the first opening of that grasshoppers in it yeah well not the first of that we'd see that we'd see the shark born and if you think about like, oh. is it is it such like a debt triple? Yeah, because he focuses on the set piece, the third part. Uh, no, uh, anyone can be Michael Myers. Anyone, anything could have been the shark and Jaws. What makes those dynamics so interesting is there are surrounding characters that then ultimately walk into that path. And then what what is the result of it? The Roy Schneider character, mm. his family. You know the Halloween. I sounded like I was gonna cry then. Sorry, but um, the, but then you got like <laughs> I, just, I was, I was like eating at the same time. You know? It's emotional. Yeah. But the, the, the thing about what ha- what happened with The Exorcist is that 
the, the, the demon is, is irrelevant. The, the mythology there is irrelevant. What happens in that film and the result of impact of that, what surrounds that family, that is what keeps, keeps audiences on the toes. Here, it's a complete opposite. It works around the set piece. It wants to explore within itself. And quite frankly, it's so self-indulgent in that regard because none of it's remotely interesting. Like, but we what, think, yeah, we think but what interests Mary's, Borman... Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, we think I, Father, I just, like, yeah, go on, sorry, Render. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish that. I was just going to say, like, you know, Father Merrin might be a Satanist. I'm like, did we even watch the first film? Like, like what? And then we've got, like, Richard did Burton. You, did you not have these second thoughts yourself when you were watching the original? Like, I wonder no, maybe ble- he is a Satanist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, like, quite quite the opposite in my opinion. But, like, <laughs> but, yeah, no, you, you watch through it and it's just somebody didn't watch the first film or, and this is where it would really annoy me, is that granted you come into a franchise and you be, you're told to do it, do it, you know, do your own spin on it. That's fair enough. But then to create something like this, that shits on the, on the thing that came before it purely out of spite in order to stand itself out by its own definition is barking up the wrong tree. Then for, for me, it just doesn't ever want to win that battle after after it crosses that line, and you you and and think, thinking it's doing something highbrow when it's really not, and then trying to do be something he, so different. Do you think he effort. had any like when he when he was watching other people's reactions because he must have they, like Borman must have been aware of how people hated it, you know. My, my impression of it is that did, was he kind of like room. was he like actively thinking to himself like these people don't get it they don't see the genius in what i've done like he's going yes. like i'm michael fucking Cimino, like a, some, I, something to that effect like does he yep. does he yes. actively think that he's 100 improving on the, on the I, i'll, 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 I'll explain did you hear from, the from, ambulance from my, opi- from my opinion from what he said about <coughs> the previous and and it being really successful, he's probably jo- jumped on that bandwagon of doing the second one, but thought I'm doing it my way. I thought the first one was so uh, um, irresponsible, uh, uh, so appre- uh, so apprehensive, ugly, repulsive. What I'll do is that I'll make my sequel my way, and they'll learn to like it because I'll do it highbrow. And he probably had a smirk on his face all the way until it screened, and then realised, then thought, shit. I mean, I mean, I've I've made a film. And I've ruined not only a franchise, but I might have ruined my career here. Pulled it out of cinemas twice to re-edit. I mean, who's the fool there? If you're not going to hit your deadline and have a film you, you you think you're happy with, but to pull it twice, that is a cause for concern. And also, I'm a fan of John John Borman in other regards. I quite like um, um, some stuff he's done. It's he, he's a he's a he's a director that I think always puts something dis- distinctive on screen. But here feels like a personal tirade in order to make. The Exorcist looked like it's a, it's just a it's a dirty horror film, whereas a my film's a highbrow psychological investment into the power of what belief and faith is, and yeah. he got it so wrong, think, unbelievably wrong. I think he's got this idea that um, the first film was so dark and bleak. I can find hope in here, and that's 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 his highbrow idea. Is, is this that, what he's finding? Yes, because you know, oh, brush your wings up against me, dear cricket. And uh, you know this this Linda Blair swinging around her oh, damn sling say. at the end, but it's all about this idea of you know what, good people are a beacon for evil. That's why 
That's why Pazuzu picked out Linda Blair. That's why Pazuzu picked out these nice kids in Central America and Africa. This is the idea he's flying on. It ends with it. And I, I applaud him for having this idea, but my, I think that's, that's all he believes in here. And everything is about that. And then he's taking sort of maybe some of the icon, iconography and some of the ideas from that are present in the exorcist or some of the surface stuff. And he's got this idea of, Oh, well, we're going to make these swarms of locusts brush up against people and then they'll turn good. Like I'm, I'm hopeful. And he's all on this. I'm in Varda's land here of, uh, just pretentiousness, but I think that's what's happening. And and yeah, I think Jack's totally right. He's got this highbrow idea. He's going to take it. He's going to rewrite it with his buddy and do it his way. And it's just crap. But he believes in it. I just hope that whenever he was like in 1990, whatever seven, he was directing the Taylor of Panama or something like that. He was just thinking, mm-hmm. so I shouldn't have fucking done this to the Exorcist uh, because uh, maybe I would have been, you know. Directing Jurassic Park instead, <laughs> yeah, I don't. or something, you know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know the man. Or Independence <laughs> Day, or I don't know something, right? Like I'm just saying, like you know, I appreciate. I mean, this like, I kind of sound like, like you, you kind of sound like me while trying to defend a piece of shit that no one else likes. <laughs> it's just, but you know, I kind of just like well, I'm just thinking. It's like, look, that's great. Like he has this idea. Like, look, like it's on paper. This sounds interesting. And you know what? I'm trying to be honest in here, and I'm like, I'm not walking into Exorcist to colon the her- heretic. And by the way, you can't s- say Kokuma without saying cock. So just uh, just put it out there. <clears throat> Look, <laughs> like I'm walking into this film without an expectation that you know, like I'm a fan of the Exorcist. Dazzle me, bitch. Okay, like I'm not going to just even pretend to think that this movie has any chance of coming close to it. Like, if it did, I'd be singing its praises. Because I wouldn't go into say, like, how dare you come close to the Exorcist? I hate you even more now. I'm like, no, I'm going to appreciate this even even, even, even more than because it, because it did over, but hypothetically, if it, if it overshadowed the original, right? So I'm coming at this with an angle of, let's pretend the original doesn't exist. Show me something interesting, right? Like, how does it stand up as a film? Like, in the absence of the original, like, is it just assumed that, you know, like, I don't know what Pazuzu is, and they just do a job of some description trying to describe it to me. He's the evil king of spirits of the earth. <laughs> like, like, when they do all these, like, like this movie is making so much noise, like, it's, it's, like, pedaling in place, and it's, like, honestly boring. Mm-hmm. very uninteresting like i don't find anything rem- like there are maybe two scenes in here and finding a top three moments for here for for this oh my was god struggle. I, I thought it was the only one <laughs> look i'm, I'm no, trying to give this movie a, I'm, I'm, I, was, I was trying to give this film a chance okay like okay let's let's just pretend that linda blair is just linda blair and in here they actually refer to her as a, to her as a reagan <laughs> so it's just like never mind uh, but it's it's such a mess. But it does not work. Like nothing really works in here. It feels terrible. Yeah. Like it's just uh, bo- I, like terrible films can be good, but this is a terrible film that's boring. It's impossible mm-hmm. to the sit. Cardinal through. sin. Yeah. And it's 
it's obviously tethered to the original, but like you say, can it stand alone? This is one of my questions. I don't think it does because if you say, if you look at this as a standalone beast, it, it's completely unengaging. Don't care about the characters. It's, it's as if Borman thinks the goodwill established from the original will just sort of carry through and sort of breathe life into what he's got going on as a standalone thing. Very few films that I can think of that decide to very much go their own way and could be a standalone. Doctor Sleep would be sort of an interesting one. Remember um, the um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Texas, too? Yeah, but I didn't like well, that as much. But but that is another example of thought of that too. It tries to go its own way. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay, but I think that's the riskiest of the choices if you're looking to you know extend a franchise and to do something boldly out of whack from from the previous. Halloween uh, three. That it was that was intended to be Halloween two, I think. Oh, they wanted to make it an anthology first, yeah. right? Like this was supposed yeah. to. Like it's a it's a whole story. Like I don't want to derail right. this, but yeah, yeah. Do, do you know, just trying, if, if I'm I, just like because you posed this as a question, like okay, well, can you go your own way? I'm just like, trying to think think of examples, right? It's you a, know, just just, just while you th- yeah, just while you're thinking, I just mm-hmm. wanted to bring this up as well because I, I I completely agree with Jakub because I thought I was the only person like I know that sometimes that can be quite painful and about I really struggle to do this and that with the top bottom threes. I, I'm being quite genuine now. I had one. And I, and I generally didn't want to disappoint you both, so I forced myself to do two. So I'm going to just say this now. Other, I'm going to mention the other two when we get there. But we we talked about like what 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 this separates itself as, right? And I think one one very logical and clear um, objective viewpoint of when something is what wants to stand out from the crowd, and you know if it stands at the two feet. Well, let's look at iconography and let's look at aesthetics, right? Let's how, how does it look? Is because it, 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 it has to breathe in a different light now this film looks very different to the first one that's not a positive the first one is a constant creation of forcing us back into that house subconsciously the audience don't realize it first until until when the film's over that film by william freakin is constantly and consistently forcing us as an audience back into that house no matter what so we go back into it we go back in, we go back in, and then we're there, and we can't escape it. It's a wonderful psychological technique he does. Even if it's a, if it's a subconscious um, technique he's implemented, it's actually genius in a way as well because you psychologically don't get it, but then we're, we're caught in there and we can't leave. Brilliant. Constant hues of dark blues and blacks and greys and, 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 and blues and, and, and th- those colours that, that don't take mm-hmm. any light. There's no purity and- there. They're all very dark brooding themes now can let, I add, uh, Jack, too? yeah go on sorry. sorry i'll just say no just just to add something else that freakin's doing in there he's he does have an underlying theme of good versus evil and he's constantly going from a dark room and the dark blues and then he's got a scene in a, a well-lit room so he's going from dark to light dark to light and he's going from loud to soft loud to soft and all of this is sort of the you know, the yin-yang good versus evil. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, Brilliant production design, brilliant use of sound design. Now let's then jump to this. <clears throat> he decides to set some of this in a New York City skyscraper where it's all built. Three. Yeah, exactly. It's all built to look marvellous. But what does that echo within this film? Nothing. So then oh, when no, we get... Just, it I, echoes Zardoz. No, it echoes you, 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 Zardoz because there are windows and mirrors everywhere. 
I yep. suppose you could you could read into this just like look we surround ourselves in these, with these with technology. This is kind of the standing for. Oh, you know, no, this is I, civilizational I think development and there's this demon coming back in here. Like, we've done this already in the original and it worked so much better. Yeah, we, but with, I, I, I with also the think With the exposition of this of medicine versus... The, like, it worked before way better than this. Like, you don't have to See, job Jacob, bore I, man. I, I think it's even worse than that. I don't think there's a naivety with that and I don't think there's there's this un- uncompromising look at that. I think it's genuine stubbornness and and complete and utter degradation of what the, the previous one was because once we get into those sequences of the psychic thing, what does he decide to use? Powerful white lights echoed by this openness in glass. So it, the, just, the juxtaposition, it just doesn't work. There's nothing that feels claustrophobic. So the set piece, the production design, is just like horribly crafted. And then we get when we go to Africa, right, where there's this hue of orange, Clearly on a set in, in, in Los Angeles, it looks terrible. We have no other colour there. It's massive open spaces. So then we have to sort of indoctrinate this, this locust point of view, which looks horrific. And then he utilises this, this, this POV by a helicopter shot where we go through the, 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 uh, the fields of Africa, which again looks atrocious. And then the worst part of it is that he tries to embody the demon itself as an entity that's flowing through this world. And we get to the actual tribal city where there's a, a wailing and a noise that genuinely, I don't know, because I've got this in, in my description, but I don't have audio of it, but I'll, I'll try to find you of it, is that there's an there's a wail that the that this, this noise makes and we're going through. And it sounds like Will Ferrell making like the noises in Blades of Glory when he's got that suit on, like, la, 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 like that. It's so bad. It's like the, 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 James Earl Jones, like he sounds like la 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 la. Yeah, there's this <laughs> these production design choices, which there's not even oh. a thought process to go into what those say and what those. How much build. do you think they paid him? What James Earl Jones? Well, it's just, it's the same as a Star Wars, so not a lot. Like he, like clearly, you can see noise. these all these people needed money. Yes. Oh. <laughs> By the way, just I found a snippet from uh, Paul and Kale's. Um, review of this i quote the film is too cadence and exotic and too deliriously complicated to succeed with most audiences but it's winged camp a horror fairy tale gone wild another in the long history of movie makers king size follies there's enough visual magic in it for a dozen good movies what it lacks is judgment the first casualty of the movie making obsession i think she's just being too polite meanwhile (laughs) meanwhile she she can just look at I don't know opening night or I don't know um, oh uh, the woman under the influence and say like this is boring are you serious <laughs> this is boring doesn't 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 get to the point and then she goes in 1977 goes like I had an you know reasonably good time <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got I've got nothing else to say. I don't think I have anything else I, to I do ask have one thing either, to say about the Paul and guys... Kale thing. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the Paul and Kale thing is interesting because she's actually got skin in the game here because she she, she accused mm. the first well, one she, of being exploitative. She bankrolled the movie. <laughs> yeah, she, she, she basically explo- said that the first film was exploiting uh, Linda Blair, which then in turn, because of the expose that it tried to create in the media, made people go to it more. And then ultimately, um, by, by her own doing, Give this plaudits for giving Linda Blair's character 
more work to do and it was it was far less exploitative, which then people read and thought, what? Well, okay. I, I actually thought it was more it. exploitative, really, I also realistically did. than that. Because the, the, she's outfits, in here, she's sexualized. Yeah, there's in, certain outfits yeah. in here which are incredibly uncomfortable for a 17-year-old <laughs> to be in, and it just doesn't add to anything either. It doesn't add to the character because she's not, she doesn't seem like she's trying to break out of a mold either. So again, it feels a constant dissonance to what we're creating. There's just no thought process here at all. Agree. Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna have to find this Blades of Glory clip because. Once you'll hear the it, it's like. people who made this piece of shit are in this room! <laughs> I'd be so fucked off if I was him as well, though. No, oh, he wasn't he, he wasn't him. Like, he was talking about how a guy stood up in the, in the screen that oh, no, he no, was I've, in I've and clip, said this, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Right, I, I, have this, um, I have this clip. I hope you, can, you guys can hear this. Can you guys hear this? Um, Now, you go find that clip in The Exorcist 2, and I guarantee you it's the same fucking sound. It's so bad. (laughs) And you just played that. That was from Blades of Glory, was it? That was from Blades of Glory, yeah. Exorcist 2. But you know, I'm not going to indulge you. I'm not going to watch Exorcist 2 ever again. (laughs) Like no, yeah. you know what there is. A, you know there is. There should be a like a place in hell for anyone who, like, there is a reason why why you you can't buy Jaws and Jaws sequels in the same box set. Oh, agreed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Whoever, if there ever comes a day when someone decides to just, I don't know, because I think different studios were involved in in, in creation of all these sequels, right? If they yeah. ever dis- like, let's dish out the money, and then like, if Arrow decides to just like pull all these sequels together with just like the Rennie Harlan and then and the Schrader film together with the original, hmm. I'm lighting myself on fire in protest. <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna. The day it releases, you. I'm going to go to London to the Trafalgar Square, and I'm gonna just make such a scene. I'm gonna make such a mess out of myself. Then it will be on the news for a week. Right? That's that's a warning to to Arrow Video. One, like, don't you one ever news try? Cycle. Don't you I ever mean, what, try? What? No, this is gonna this is gonna be such a mess. That there's gonna be seven news cycles. Okay, seven times twenty four four hours. Like, look, Partygate is gonna look like like nothing in comparison. No, I just, I'm 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 warning the world like right now. Like this is this is unexcusable and then I I dare you not not to do it. I mean, this. talk about inexcusable like they they had to <clears throat> reshoot the the Father Merrin with the the fake Regan in a body double because she wouldn't put the um the the makeup back on. It looks terrible. Mm-hmm. The voice doesn't match up. And then we get to the end and it's like a doppelganger and all they do is change the color of their eyes and then highly sexualize them. There just seems to be no. She looks like a succubus. Yeah, there's. She looks like she belongs in a Wes Craven film from 1982. Yeah. When where's the doppelganger come from? (laughs) So this is why it can't stand on its own. Eat on on its own either because he he's just making up stuff as he goes. Uh, You know, it makes sense to John Borman and no one else in the world. All right. Final thoughts. Do you guys want to stick the spear into this and (laughs) kill it? Who wants to go first? (sighs) Yeah, go, oh, go for it. 
look, John Borman, the Borman, sodomized this movie. Like not this, the, the original. He they didn't get any any of the spirit of the original. If 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 there was anything to take out of the original to try and make something interesting with it, it would be probably the spirit of of, of reality to try and you know do conjuring sort of situation out of this. Try to kind of recreate the idea of unsettling the viewer. But no. <laughs> so this movie is a total, absolute, unexcus- just inexcusable pile of garbage. Like imagine Jeff Goldblum looking at this pile of triceratops poo, right? No, he's looking at a DVD of this film is what he's looking at, okay? It's unwatchable. I don't think why this exists, you know, some, you know, like, sometimes I'd, I'd like to live in a head of, of, of like a, I don't know, Paramount executive, just when they think just, this is a good idea, we made like $350 million on this great movie, and then they don't realize that what makes it special is the fact that it's special, and they think, look, we need to make another one, maybe we'll, we'll hit like $500 million. really? No, you won't. <sighs> I'd like to live in a day in a, in in a, in, a, in a brain of a of such a numbnuts absolute moron just to see how how they process thought and and how they struggle to pick up a fucking spoon and point it at their mouth and open it in time to swallow and swallow chew and swallow you know this is probably a challenge for these people like this is such such a brain dead activity this producing this movie must have been you know I'm going to leave it there. Zero, uh, zero out of five. I can't give zero on Letterboxd, so we'll have to go with a half star, but it's zero out of five. This is unwatchable pile of crap that no one should ever, ever... Like, if someone like if someone recommends it to someone, this should be a, this should be punishable by prison, you know? <laughs> like, five to seven. Okay. <laughs> Jack... <laughs> I'm going to echo everything. I, 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 yeah, I don't. I don't feel like me and Jacob are, are very much on the on, on the same page. I, I'm I'm the man behind Jacob with the sign agreeing yeah. with them. Yeah, that we should pen, him. Penalty to death. <laughs> I'm definitely like yeah, fuck those people. Uh, this is a mortal cardinal sin. Not only in horror, not only in it being an Exorcist sequel. A film of this caliber, with the people involved, with the history that it's got should fundamentally not be boring and it fails to endear on any single aspect of production by maybe one of two simple secondly tiny instruments that we've seen beforehand with Max von Sydow and Richard Burton. Um, this is such <sighs> tripe and dog shit that it really is as bad as people say. And the problem, you know, if people want to elevate this material, that's all well and good. I don't necessarily have an issue with that, but it has to be be accountable for its sins. And this is yeah. like the book. It's just like it just it's so full of just shite. <laughs> I would I think, and also like you know, the pe- people people didn't get away with this either. You know, John Borman made Excalibur after this because it was a passion passion project and didn't really dip his toes in again. I mean, it killed careers. And Linda Blair never really worked again in bar 1990 to do Repossessed, which, you know, died of death suddenly as well. It really did take people to the grave. Um, Richard Burton? 
Well, I think his career tanked by that time. Yeah. I think it was his fourth. Was it? Was, was he on his third or fourth marriage? I don't. I don't know. Um, but Probably. yeah, it, it's just his fourth. Yeah, well, it's just a mortal for seven sin. Years. I, 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 I can, I could. This, this is a, this is unwatchable for me. I think it's one star. Um, I think there's 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 an ad- admiration that it attempts to do something, but they're literally just sat in a room with a he- something on their head with a bright a bright light beaming at them. I mean, even the it production value is just so surely shit. It's unbelievable. Um, and yeah, so I'm all those Star hospital Wars. beds were in their own aquariums. Yeah. Oh, Christ! Like, and then you know, like all this of and all these sort of offices, you know, with the sort of Venetian mirrors, so you can see outside of the office, which is just why. Like, and, and and outside some of the corridors are kind of like a like a mirror cabinet in like a fun house. Like what the fuck is going on in this movie? Like I don't get it's, it. It's not even funny, you know? Like I'm just like look, look, if you like this, because I, 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 I know there are people out there who like this, right? You like this? You know, Godspeed. Like you live your life, do whatever. But at the, but at the same time, word of warning, you should not be allowed into dog parks. Or at least if you are into do- in dog parks, please don't pick up stuff because it's probably not Snickers bars that you're picking up. Okay? Just saying. I tell you, there's one, so you may there's mistake one, person, one for the other. There's one person I Just, thought would be on here, and it's, it's Nicolo. Nicolo doesn't like this film, but he, he admittedly, like Jacob, um, who was talking about, will admit that he actually doesn't think this is as bad as people say it is. That's all well and good, but Nick doesn't elevate it to try and say it's better either. You know, if you if you like... B movie horror films, and you appreciate that. That's fair enough, but you've got like to I've, take. I like it. I like my fair share of crap. Yeah, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll I'm not going to pretend it's pre- it's it, like look, Jaws: The Revenge. I, I'm I'm going to go to bat for this movie because it's fun, but I'm not going to pretend that this is you know like The Shining. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So and, and, and what I'll I think add? That's, go on, oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Jack. Garbage. I was just going to say that. Uh, garbage it, it, that needs to be taken into account like anyone trying to elevate this to say it's something bigger than not i agree with Jacob. i think i would i would look at what you like and and, and perhaps try and to evaluate things. slowly step away yeah <laughs> just, <laughs> just yeah, leave yeah. the room like they if you don't move quick they don't notice they, their vision is based on movement yeah this is like it's a turn yeah, this this is no good. But what what I would add into a hedge, just <laughs> for me, watching Zardoz this week for the first time was really revealing. I think that this is Borman's energy. Zardoz is his film. He loves this aesthetic and <laughs> this type of artsy fartsy. You know, all this action is happening on a cognitive level nonsense so (laughs) what you get here with the heretic is you take the exorcist from 1973 you put it in a bag with zardoz and you mix it up real good and you sort of dump it out leave it in the sun (laughs) yeah (laughs) boil in a bag cod (laughs) you get a bunch of pretentious ideas and this film it's like we we said with inland empire uh sorry nicola this movie is from an auteur who's got his own ideas in mind, doesn't care about the audience. He's enjoying it. Good on him, I suppose. But this is not accessible to, to anyone. <laughs> it's kind of like the, like, I mean, like, like Inland Empire, it's kind of the equivalent of like a donkey show. As in like, it's 
there's probably an audience for it, but do you know what? Like, I'm going to stay outside of the tent. Like, I'm fine. I'm not going to see, go and watch this, right? So, like, I'm, I'm fine that David Lynch can suck his own dick. You know, like, it's a, it's a feat of gymnastics. Great. Okay. Don't want to see it. This is, this is Borman's version of that. So, tops. Sorry. Just, before you say this, let me say like Borman's energy. When I imagine the John Borman energy that's in this film is the Bor- is the energy of a man who's suffering through a, like a midnight bout of diarrhea. Like that's kind of the energy this movie has. Someone's just sweating their ass off on the toilet, hoping to God that they survive until dawn and do not do not dehydrate. That's the energy of this movie. Or it was is the energy that I kind of shared when trying to watch this. I hoped I would maybe make it until the the credits roll without without well, shitting my guts out. You're here, amen, amen, <laughs> brother. Amen. You 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 made it. Okay, let's get to our top list, Jack. What's your top item? <laughs> your top yeah, two. yeah, but top, top one. Um, your, your top, literally, Richard Burton it's and Max von Sydow. That's all I've got. I just. I think Max is that, you, is that you wrote down while watching this? Like I could imagine like a whole A4 page, like Jack sitting down with a pencil and an A4 page, and then I'm ready for this. And then just yeah. after two hours, he just has this Max von Sydow and Richard Benton written down. I'm just I, like, yeah, I'm not honestly. I always do notes. I always do notes, and the, the Exorcist three, you've got about a page, and then Exorcist one, you've got four lines. Four and, words. Uh, Richard yeah, Burton, Richard Burton, Max von Sydow. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the former, because he brings a, a level of gravitas to it, he, he actually gives it his all. Some of his delivery is really wooden, but it feels like he's still there. I mean, because granted, Swedish. yeah, and that, no, that, that's that, that's Richard Burr, but Max von Sydow, at least he's in there to give it some sort of pulp. Um, he has nothing mm-hmm. to do. I don't think he even speaks, um, but it was nice to see him, and that's generally as far as I can give this film. <laughs> he wasn't paid enough me. to speak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good on him. <laughs> So I went to see this in theaters and I hated the experience, but I saw a buddy of mine in the front row. It was nice to see him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jakob, you must have well, one on your I've list. Got, look, I've got three because I do my job. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's have them. <laughs> uh, and the pickings were slim, okay? So you have to... Pre- like, Okay. Like Linda Blair on the ledge. Like for a second, I just thought like maybe she wanted to jump. But you know, like it was just the image, the, the image alone of just, just like this of gla- this made me think of like Poltergeist three, and I'm just like, wow, Poltergeist three, it's a nice three star film. Maybe I should watch this instead, and it made me feel better for a second, and I like that. Um, and then the two other ones that kind of are kind of relating to one particular scene is just I want to say the hypnosis scene with the demonic Reagan, Reagan, Regan, Renault, <laughs> Renault Regan, Renault Regan. That's a mm-hmm. car. Uh, anyway, so when she's superimposed on onto Louise Fletcher or just in front of her, and then she's trying to touch her and whatever, like the the, the physics of them doing this with this of these light bulbs going womp, womp, womp. Nice. Okay. Now I would say this, and then the f- and, and the fun little sort of caper to this is at the end of it. Richard Burton goes and it proves that this is all like, you know, there's a video game to him. He's like, let me have a go. <laughs> it's just, and he puts it on. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. it's just like, you know, like, like, when you say to yourself, like, like you say to your kids, you know, like, look, you have your call of duty. Like we used to have Pong. 
And then oh, God. this is kind of the pong of VR. Yes. <laughs> Networked Minecraft. Okay. And this is this is no, right. like, this movie walked so that Tron could could run. Well, now <laughs> that's a statement. <laughs> okay. What a piece of shit movie! Now, do you tell me what the three things would this movie just you know like? Uh. So for me, I have. <clears throat> A very lean top three as well. I did say it was nice to see Von Sydow. So it's good is, good to see Max. It? He's got is this. this it? No, that's I've I've got three. Well, oh, sort of. Um, you know, he just has a distinguished, classy presence always. So that was it was good good to see Max. Um, I do sort of I think Linda Blair shows a little bit of range here. She shows a charm, and I do like her hypnotized voice then you know she the zoning out there's an element that that's sort of eerie um and then to i'll give a little bit of credit although it's brutally explored i'll give a little bit of a credit to you know there's an idea of a theme here the idea of that there's maybe it's the goodness that attracts the evil in the first place there's an idea worth exploring there but rather than exploring that idea exclusively borman should probably have focused on some other stuff as well but there's a nugget there, so I will give it that. We need to get a medic in here. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'll I'll leave it at that. Okay. The bottom list should be more plentiful. No need to stop at three, boys. Right. <laughs> Go ahead, Jack. I'll, I'll, I'll start. Um, I've mentioned this, um, but this is my, my third one. The demon walking around sounds like Blades of Glory. I just couldn't. Once it started, <laughs> I told Sunshine, she was like, She's like, we couldn't stop what laughing is. It's like, it's so prolonged as well. Um, the other two I haven't mentioned, and I because they were a bit spoilerish, but I, I don't really give it. It's not like it doesn't matter. Oh, but um, please don't spoil it. What if <laughs> yeah. people want to watch this? Um, okay, the no. one, rest of the episode is yeah, built it up. The one, the one that like made me laugh, but the more I think of it, it really annoys me. The the, the the climax of this film is Richard Burton getting sort of hixed, and then deciding to walk to the bus station to get on a bus for six hours or a train, sorry, for six hours from from uh, New York to Washington and then get a bus for two hours to Georgetown. And it like... And then he's in a rush. Yeah, 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 exactly. And there's like, there's quite a lot of steak, you know. I'm just, I thought I'm sorry. I don't know if John Borman was taking the piss there with his, with his tongue firmly in cheek. Don't you excuse him? No, but that's how naive this film is. Like, yeah. It, and then, and then someone's like, uh, "Where's your ticket?" And he's like, she, "He's not very well." Like, don't go to this daughter. This daughter's mine. And I, I know that was Irish, but I tried to do Welsh. But I was like, "Jesus, what the? <laughs> yeah." I, well, did you take this bus to Limerick? <laughs> well, he probably did it get to a good fucking pint of Guinness. But you know, you're just watching it and just like, why are we trying to make getting on a train? And then not being on the train atmospheric, and then we're getting on another bus to go to a house. And it's always the house. It's like it didn't. It didn't deserve to get that moment. It didn't deserve to go back to that house and and, and try and make atmosphere. It's like it just felt so redundant. And the first one, and again, this is going back to number one. The whole house climax to me is absolutely like diabolically shit. It's so house boring. Is a porno film waiting to happen. Yeah. Yeah, well, Gaspar knows House Climax, yeah. But I'm like, I'm watching it and I'm like, are we really just like going to like tremble the bed and then we've got a doppelganger and then there's a hole in the ground and it's sucking everyone up. But it's like, like they, they crash that car, right? 
and it like gets through the gate and you know there's 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 the wire in her. All of a sudden the Sharon, right, who's who who's been absolutely mm-hmm. a third party in this, has done nothing wrong whatsoever, gets out, decides to walk to the door, walk back, hit a light, and then set herself a light on fire. We don't know if she's dead or not. And then we get to the end where Richard Burton's out of this house with Linda Blair. They walk over to the street where she is. And she's like in in like as dressed like E. T. with the, with everything around her. She's squeezing it and she goes, Reagan, and then dies. And then they literally leave her on the staircase for then Ellen Burstyn lookalike to walk back over to the house with Richard Burton and Regan for them just to walk in the distance behind her. I was like, who wrote this shit? Who made who who blocked this scene? John it's terrible. Borman. It's so bad. It's just a John and it, and it decides to it. end on it as well. I was like, you bastards. <laughs> they're my bottom three. I could go on forever. They're, they're mortal sins, those three. Seriously, it's like fucking so stupid and dumb. But that could foreshadow what Yakub will do if there's ever a box set of Heretic in the original. Oh, God. Oh. You know, like this if, inspired be, you. Before I <laughs> light myself on fire, this actually, because uh, I was for a second, I've never seen any of these, like, I've all, uh, like, like, I've said this on the Patreon episode, like, the, like, until this rewatch, The Exorcist has always been kind of shy of perfection for me. And, like, after so many watches, I found, I've, I finally found the frequency for, for, for my, like, full on Same. 150% appreciation. Same. But, yeah, it's always been like I don't. Yeah, but anyway, like it's not the time or the place. But I was, I was wondering like, why can't I get like there's Exorcist three Arrow release? Why isn't there one for this? I know why. Because <laughs> it's dog shit, right? <laughs> but I was just like thinking like, if they ever come up with this box, and before I light myself on fire, I'm going to go, uh, and then take all my savings, and then go on sendpoo.com, and I'm gonna. Just start mailing packages. It's just gonna oh, start ordering shit. <laughs> if, you, if you don't know what sendpoo.com is, it's a service where for like twenty five dollars you can you get to pick the the kind of excrement because I think these people kind of just get supplied by like some local zoo or whatever. So it's either donkey, elephant, giraffe, horse. What like, like you pick your animal, okay? And then when I and I'm, I'm gonna start mailing packages to relevant parties, and then when when I finally run out of money I'll, I'll do the rest with my own creations okay and then i'm yeah. gonna go out john borman's still alive <laughs> just saying so <laughs> oh god just, Randy, don't <laughs> indulge him please like, holy shit like uh, you know okay did we, did we get through your bottoms <laughs> oh we haven't even started yet okay um, <laughs> so oh, one one i have like first, like you thank, thank fuck you for, for reminded me about Sharon, like the fucking red herring slash twist. She's the Norman Bates of this film. She's under <laughs> a spell. <sighs> what a legend this woman is. Okay, um, one scene I really just and like weirdly just enjoyed for how stupid it is, but it also makes, like, it, you can't even laugh at it when George, Richard Burton goes to, I think, Africa, and he goes like, he fell down there. <laughs> I know that he's, he he fell and he bumped, he bounced off the rock and he's just going to be hidden there. And because this whole village is like, v- like dev- developed this sort of sense of belief or whatever, like this sort of de- deity around 
cock umo, right? Because he <laughs> fell and disappeared, I believe. I don't know. I didn't pay too much attention to this movie because it was really, really difficult. Okay? Yeah. And they, they didn't look for the guy very they hard. They didn't look very far because he goes down there and he finds him. <laughs> like, in, immediately. Like 20 seconds, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, what kind of a... Like, this is a village full of lazy people. How did they get anything accomplished in this village? How is w- even one single building just standing in there because they just they like they couldn't give a fuck <laughs> about just like the guy fell well let's go and look for him no nah, let's start a religion instead like he definitely he, he's definitely gone man like i hate incompetent people <laughs> and i hate lazy incompetent people even more well, they made and a chairlift two- <laughs> yeah and yeah well, or maybe they found it <laughs> fuck me Okay, so this is my honorable mention. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <sighs> Bottom three. Look, Linda Blair's succubus look with her. Like, we need to give her the... Because she has these sort of, like, these puffy cheeks. Like, she looks really, like, disturbing in a way because she looks... like I know she's, like, 18 when she's doing this movie. But she's she's she looks like she's... Like she has this of the, the facial features on her are very childlike, right? And trying to sexualize this image just feels kind of inappropriate in a way. But she looks like she belongs in this one of the West West Craven films that he made for TV when he when he decided he needed money and he didn't want to go back to making porn. So yeah, like Deadly Blessing or like an invitation from hell or something like this. Which are like you know like you can you can you can read into shit like this and actually just find some value in them. Just like yeah, it's fun to kind of just like fantasize about this. Like no, that's not this one. Okay, so that's one. This is gonna be hard because like I'm like you know like this whole conversation is just like trying to edge me in this. Uh, like how how long can Jakob last without launching on a massive run without ejaculating in this sort of like fountain of words that no one will ever understand? That's kind yes. of. Three minutes, wasn't it? <laughs> well, you know, the uh, the the perfect length of a pop song. <laughs> just, the fake locusts close-ups, like why? Just, just, just why? Like, just show me this image of this. Ten seconds, <laughs> and then staying in the spirit, James L. Goddamn Darth Vader Jones, who's then who has then ha- has long hair and a and and short sort of fringe in Conan the Barbarian because right in a grasshopper costume shouting. Yep. Oh, and 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 if you want to be really facetious, like the worst moment of the film is when it starts. And then when you realize, then you're like, it's probably a good idea to see it through to the end. Because, you know, like maybe it has the font and you think to yourself, well, maybe it won't be that bad. Maybe I'll just give it a shot. <laughs> you know, at least they didn't, at least, at least, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they didn't use the tubular bells. No, not at all. Uh, no. The third one did. But I'm just Briefly, saying, like, yeah. if they, if they, like, I'm just watching this and I'm just saying, like, if they use tubular bells, bells for this, I'm going to take a shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear 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 okay that's kind of right <laughs> all right so this is probably of- the worst film i've seen for the show 
Like, you know, wow. like I've, I've given the quest, I've given the quest one out of five and I fantasize about buying it. <laughs> well, maybe in a couple months you'll feel the same about this. Maybe. I don't what give a-, a flying fuck into a rolling donut. <laughs> about this film. <clears throat> okay. Um, yeah, you guys went through a lot of my bottom list, so I'll just add <laughs> a couple here. There's some bad, there's some bad, bad stuff. Um, a dishonorable Richard Burton, the way he says evil, he evil. says evil. evil. Oh, that's evil. a very British way. Evil. <laughs> okay. so, so there was trained there was that. Yeah, no, this that's... is just a pr- piece. So I'm so sorry like, again. This <laughs> is like a piece man. of evidence. Evi- this is evidence. Look, this is a trained thespian. This is ma- This is a man who could be, you know, Macbeth. He could be Hamlet. He could be, you know, shouting Stella, Stella. Yeah, yeah he <laughs> like, overpronounces evil. But no, he, you know, this is just a very trained RP pronunciation. This is how the Queen would have said it: evil, evil, <laughs> evil. No, this is this is trained act, actors English. Let's leave him alone. This is this is how it's supposed to be Stop pronounced. Stop defending it. I did not see that moment coming. Or Jakob has to come. I'm not defending and... the film. I'm defending the honor of Mr. Richard Burton. Okay. Is that an answer to your question, Greg? Sort of evil, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> Um, I also, yeah, I also had the locust cam. What is the deal with this stupid locust cam? Um, I also had James Earl Jones hanging out at home, just waiting in his place, sitting in his throne in cricket cosplay. Why? Ridiculous image. Um, why and not? The, <laughs> I suppose. Would you and, not rock your grasshopper outfits if you had one? <laughs> And this is another one. Um, the unfinished railing on the penthouse bedroom oh, balcony. I haven't. I haven't finished. <laughs> at the unfinished railing is the my review of this movie. Is <laughs> like the contractor would be sued here because this is on like the fortieth floor or something crazy. And it's the, there's different sections of this railing. It's not one section that was broken. No, there's several sections that are just absent. What's the deal like, with where's, this? Where's Reagan? She's on the roof again. Like yeah, with the unfinished oh, roof. <laughs> the unfinished roof. Yep. Okay. That's Good. Is she in a harness? Nope. Nope. Okay. All right. Let's turn the page. Uh, part two of her double bill. The second sequel, 1990s film, William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist Three is now up for discussion. Tell the press that I am the Gemini Lieutenant, or I will punish you. Punish me. Yes. What are you talking about? Do you dance? What do you mean? Gloria, Lasset Honor, TBC, Rex Christer. I like plays. The good ones, Shakespeare. I like. Titus Andronicus, the best. It's sweet. Incidentally, did you know that you are talking to an artist? I sometimes do special things to my victims, things that are creative. Of course, it takes knowledge, pride in your work, 
So The Exorcist 3, which was a 1990 film, is uh, directed and written by William Peter Blatty. It's based on Blatty's book, Legion, uh, stars the incomparable George C. Scott, Brad Dourif, Ed Flanders, Scott Wilson, Jason Miller, uh, Nicole Williamson, and I shit you not, the model Fabio... Patrick Ewing. <laughs> I noticed model Fabio, yes. It just makes a face as well. And Sam Jackson in a very early role is in the dream sequence here. They dub over his voice. And what I love about the casting in here, George C. Scott's ex-wife, Colleen Dewhurst, is the voice of the devil. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, the story here in 1990, this is 15 years after the events of The Exorcist, and Lieutenant Kinderman and Father Dyer from the original film and from the original book, I suppose, they're still friends and they hang out with one another. Uh, they get together and watch movies every once in a while. And Kinderman is working on the case of a serial killer, the Gemini killer. And the Gemini killer is this sadistic, evil guy. Uh, Father Dyer ends up hospitalized at one point, then ends up being murdered by this killer or by someone at least. Then there's an inmate slash mental patient in a straitjacket who begins confessing stuff. And then this ultimately leads to some connections to the devil and possession. And boom, something like that is the story that unfolds. (laughs) Did you read it off the uh, back of the uh, Arrow video (laughs) Blu-ray? No, it felt pretty pretty concise, did it? I think I got all the kind of like talking a, points this, in there. Because this kind of sounds like a Jakob synopsis. It's just like, man who did no prep. It's just like, I don't know, this movie's kind of I, about this guy in a straight check. This guy ends up I wrote in it, it was rushed. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's in my notes. Um, behind the scenes here, what have I got for notes on this so after the exorcist 2 suddenly there was a lot of interest in doing the exorcist 3 blatty was interested again friedkin was even briefly interested um, and he was interested in some of the initial ideas that blatty was throwing around but friedkin stepped aside very early on Um, but then nothing went on with this project for a long time yeah it went into development hell uh yay pun so Blatty wrote all of the ideas that he had into his novel Legion, which ended up being a bestseller. Morgan Creek and Karolko, they approached Blatty about making the film. So I guess the rights must have elapsed with Warner or somehow they gave them up. Anyway, it was Morgan Creek and Karolko who was really interested in making this film. Karolko came to Blatty and said, OK, you've got these ideas. Can we add to your ideas? Let's have Regan come back and give birth <coughs> to possessed twins. And then Blatty's like, ah, uh, no. So he, Who, he. Whose idea was it? Whose idea was it? Karolko. Some Jackoff producer, yeah. exactly. Yes, precisely. <laughs> so so he teams up with Morgan the Creek. That piece is a. We'll get into Morgan Creek. <laughs> we'll get into them. Uh, but anyway, Blatty goes to Morgan Creek to help develop the project. Um, and Blatty has a lot of control over the project, at, the, at least in the early days of this. Um, yeah, so Friedgen, as I mentioned, he's not interested. Linda Blair, not interested. Burston, no, no one's interested in coming back for this. Um, and yeah, Blatty did have quite a bit of control over sort of getting this thing like, going to the point that he hires. Having experience, the second one, Linda Blair goes like, you know what? I'm for gonna, sure. <laughs> I'm not going to take my chances with that one. For, for sure, sure, that's what's going on there. Um, 
So Carpenter, <laughs> sorry, uh, Blatty hires Carpenter, or at least meets with him, for, and they meet for a week, just going into meetings because Blatty wants to hire Carpenter as as the director. But after a week or so, Carpenter says, yeah, firstly, Blatty really seems to want to direct this. And secondly, I'm not as interested in it because there's not an exorcism. So, so Carpenter leaves. Um, and Blatty did end up directing this thing himself. Uh, so which he was permitted to do within his contract because he did have quite a bit of control, at least up front. Uh, now, Lee J. Cobb had passed away in the 70s, so the role of Kinderman had to be recast, and that's why we get George C. Scott. The um, angriest man in America. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, whose, whose summer home was where I live. Anyway. Um, in Vladdy your house? Do- <laughs> In my small little corner of the world, uh, forty-five minute drive away. Anyway, <laughs> just forty-five minute drive away from for me is like the other side of the country. I know, but for me, it's nothing. <laughs> Canadian so, problems, exactly. So, um, Blitty, uh, Blatty <laughs> delivered his film Bloody. more or less on time, on budget. He had eleven million dollar budget to work with, um, but as he's delivering this this thing. James Robinson, the owner of Morgan Creek, word circulated to him that this $11 million project, which is almost finished, called The Exorcist 3, has no exorcism. So Robinson demands that Blatty go back, write a new sequence for the ending, and film an exorcism. <laughs> so this, this is the reason why we get an exorcism at the end of this. Uh, Blatty's original ending, spoilers, I guess, in a way, involved you know, the possessed patient being shot and uh, Robinson wanted no part of this, had to have an exorcism. So the Nickel Williamson uh, stuff in here, Williamson comes in, he plays a priest. This is all after the fact scene that was written. That explains and explains a of lot reshoots. actually. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> the patient who becomes possessed, again, spoiler territory here, turns out actually to be Father Karras, played by Jason Miller from the original. Um, however, we also get Brad Dourif in here. Um, he's brought in to sh- share the role with Jason Miller. That's sort of a weird thing. I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, and uh, further, I have a note here. I found Blatty and Scott didn't like one another that much, but they were able to sort of get through the days. There wasn't any <laughs> melodrama. Find me but a director that liked George C. Scott. Right. Uh, Richard, Lester's, Richard Lester's the only guy who says, ah, I didn't mind him. But exactly. It's, not like, I didn't, it's not like I liked him. He goes like, I didn't mind him. Like, he didn't hurt me. Right. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, ah. Exorcist 3 makes quite a bit of money, does well, makes $44 million. So, it, d- it does okay at the box office. You know, it's it's not a mega hit or anything. Uh, it does well on video. Audiences don't like it. Uh, critically, it was a bit of a mixed bag. Mark Commode, the British writer, and frankly, I think he's a bit of an exorcist stan, isn't he? He always seems to. Mm-hmm. Pop up. He's he's done yeah. this of Fear of God documentary, yeah, right from the nineteen seventy eight sort of uh, yes. DVD release, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So when he, he loved it, so did uh, Vincent Canby from the New York Times and a few other guys. So it did win a Saturn Award for best writing, and Brad Dourif. Um, he got a Saturn acting nomination, but George C. Scott was nominated for a Razzie. And anyway, it was a film that was just oh, sort of God. Fa- <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> faded away into history. So 
Anyway, guys, Exorcist 3, Blessing or Curse. Jack, where are you on this? <laughs> so, I, I've seen this film before. I didn't know the historical issue with the director's cut um, and the, well, the Shout Factory director's cut and the theatrical release. So, I actually watched this when I finished my second year of university and I watched it in the car home. I watched it, um, I think I watched it on my computer and... Um, I, I, I thought it was a definitely a, I think it was just in the in the realm of the psychological horror was coming back. I think Split had just come out, um, you know, um, it follows. So it was it was very interesting watching it at the time, where it felt quite contemporary. Granted, very much re- removed from the house that built it, but still has sort of um, elements breadcrumbs where it actually feels integral. So this time, um, I think because I spoke to you about this this before both of you that. I'm trying. I'm trying to watch both versions of each as I can. So I watched the director's cut of this, which is the Screen Factory Arrow video release with the video footage, black and white, it, it, it splintered in. So it'd be interesting to go against mm, what cool. you guys have seen. I've seen both versions, of course. So it'd be interesting. But this, this is where I might we might differ now because I greatly like this film and I like it for the reasons that it's different, but also remain remains in the same wheelhouse in that. The irony is that every character the second film followed, this film follows every other character. So Everyone it's else, in- yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting. I also, I think George C. Scott is, is pretty much bang on here. I think he's excellent. Um, this is a very different film. Um, <clears throat> I think it's, it's quite muddled to know which which sort of true um, type of horror genre that, that this is, is trying to evoke. But... Um, Every time I watch this, I, I I walk away with it, finding a new newfound freedom in it, and I can understand what William Peter Blatty was trying to do. I think ultimately the issue where this film falters is that he wanted to make Legion, and then someone said, "I'll give you the money if you make Exorcist 3. and then what does he do? He has to make it, and I think his original screenplay, and then people coming and say it doesn't have an exorcist uh, exorcism in it, and he's saying, "Well, yeah, the the the, the novel doesn't. What's the problem? Well, we need it." put one in four million dollars and he had to um so i've seen both versions and i do think that the irony about these two the the theatrical and the director's cut for me personally is that there's a great film there if they both collided if the extra material worked with the with the director's cut was put into the former then you can try and get away with the the, uh, carrera carrera character having the split personality at the moment Watching the director's cut because Brad, uh, Brad, is it Duriff? I can never pronounce it. Duriff. Brad Duriff. Chucky yeah, himself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's superimposing images to actually be Father Karras, not not the Jason Miller, which I think is slightly the, the, the fact that the, in the theatrical cut, Jason <clears throat> Miller's present uh, makes that film a lot more vulnerable. But I also do not like the Exorcist um, sequence at the end. I think it's far better with the director's cut. So I've seen both versions. <laughs> I like them both. I think that the amalgamation of the two together would be a really good film. But as it is, it's 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 no means on the level of Freakin's film, but it's still a very interesting psychological thriller <coughs> with horror doubled in that doesn't give the game away at all. It's not overly gory. It's not overly frightening. But it's a character piece very much like the first film in that we see a surrounding group of characters retort and respond to the events that unfold so it's in the same wheelhouse but it doesn't have that panache of a freaking execution but still every time mm. i watch this I'm, i find something to be quite impressed by um 
and and, and again this time walked away and <clears> thought <throat> I really quite like this as a venture in this in this world it doesn't disappoint me what whatsoever um so it'd be interesting to what you two to think and to see which two versions you guys have seen so can I ask because I just watched uh Jack the theatrical um, right in in the director's cut the is there any of the exorcism, the final controversial exorcism? Is there any of that in the director's cut? No, he go he goes back okay. into the um into the, uh, the 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 prison that the asylum. Sorry, okay. goes back into the yeah. uh in, into his cell. He gives a little speech about how um you know you'll never get rid of me, blah blah blah, and then he shoots him three times. Mm-hmm. It's very anticlimactic okay. so- in that regard, but and also the footage is very much previs. Uh, the, the sound mm-hmm. effects of the gun don't don't feel quite right, and how he moves doesn't feel quite right. But he shoots him dead. Granted, I, th- I think mm-hmm. th- the whole point of it is to is to evoke a sense of that he's just absolutely so worn out. Because mm-hmm. we joked about what what um, Jacob said about he's the most angriest man in the film, and he is. And I think like in America, was, <laughs> yeah. And I think if it was if it was a an, another actor who perhaps was able to resonate with a bit more depth of range, I think you would see an an actor crumble a character crumble throughout that film and that's where the execution becomes even more resounding but there's absolutely no exorcism in in, in the director's cut whatsoever yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. i also saw the uh, theatrical cut and i would actually say like the, the ending kind of feels like the exorcism kind of spliced in with someone just like cut between like whatever scene and the and the original ending and added the exorcism and then just proceeded with the ending because it kind of feels like this movie that's has two exactly, endings. That's exactly mm-hmm. what happened, Jakob, as well. <clears throat> so that's kind of what I'm going to say because like I didn't quite know because as for me, this was a first um, watch. So, uh, like I, I said, like the only thing, the only f- exorcist film I had seen until this week was just the original. Um, yeah. And I'm fine with that. Yeah, I was I was fine. I was completely fine. <laughs> Why? Why did we decide to do this? Like we could have, you know, I could have done anything, like anything at all. <laughs> Just you could have been somebody. You could have been anybody <laughs> instead of a bum, which is what I am. <sighs> I could no. have been a contender. No, that's not true. Is that that's your. <laughs> That's your opening. <laughs> no, that was like no one. No one even gives me the round of applause for trying to pretend I'm Marlon Brando in Underwater Front. I was just waiting for it. You don't understand. I could have been the contender. I could have been somebody <laughs> instead of a bum, which is what I am. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm not I'm, so, Randy. I'm not going to applaud him. Come on, he knows he wants it. He's going <laughs> to shit on this film. I'm waiting for it. Come on. No, I'm not going to shit on this film. Look. Ooh. If you go straight from Exorcist 2 to Exorcist 3, look, <laughs> this feels like the Godfather. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> can I just like, say, no, like, you no, know, no the first can, 25. Just sorry, no, no one can see you, but you look like a man, right? Who's had the worst news possible and is just pushing through. I wish you would have video here because you look at, you look like a man who's, who's hit. He's hit a, a, a fucking brick wall, and he's just like, you know what? Yeah, Look, go on. I've been, I, I had to remove my. I've been drinking since six a.m., but I've been up <laughs> since like five. And then I you know, thought like, it was I the film that had done it to him. I'm, watching I'm, I'm, this. Apologies. <laughs> it's not that bad. 
<laughs> I'll say this much. I mean, it's it's one of those where you're like, when, I think, Jack, you sent this for the second one. Oh, it's like a Jalo or whatever. I'm like, no, this is a Jalo film, if anything. Oh, wow. This, is, this, gonna have, this has the sort of feel of like, like an Italian horror film in a way. Um, because and weirdly enough, it doesn't feel like anything like the the Exorcist. And you know, like you read about the film, like you read, it's like I know why because it wasn't conceived as a sequel to it. So you know, like that's a plus, right? <laughs> so so there's that. And I suppose they, they I don't know this they they did a better job, um, you know, like with the ADR. When I suppose whenever whoever whoever's name that they were mentioning, they were saying like Father Father hmm. Karis, and at least they didn't kind of just use like an AI engine with like a woman's voice going Karis whenever someone had to say someone mm-hmm. else's name or something, right? Um, also, in my head, he's always Karas, like sexual harassment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I felt caressed while watching while watching the second one. Um, I wasn't feeling caressed. Um, anyway, so the film alone, you know, it's okay. Um, I don't mind it that much. It's not great. I'll put it this way. Like, I'm not in the, in, in the camp of people who just, like, are, you know, like, are going to go to hell for it or something like this. Like, look, this is amazing. Um, you know, it overstays its welcome by, I want to say, like, again, based on the theatrical cut and then seeing how much of a mess it becomes. But it has a, it becomes a bit of a, tr- let's just say, like, look, it, like it, it should have wrapped at 90 minutes. I'll say this. Like wow. somehow, somewhere, this is a 90 minute film with shit added on top of it. So there's that. And I, I like, I, I like these, like there's, there are a few visual um, sort of elements in here that really take it up a notch and they're going to come back. Um, and I will say this in terms of how, like, how, Bla- how Blatty writes screenplays. I can, do you remember these conversations when Friedkin had, had this sort of like, he's, he says, I, I took Blatty's script, I read it, and I thought it was shit. <laughs> and then I read the book, and I thought, like, look, this, look, I let, looked at the script and not the book, and it's just like, this script is nothing like the book. And so I took the book, and I just like started marking it up so that he could write the proper script. I have a feeling that he needed Friedkin to kind of script doctor his shit, <clears throat> just a tiny bit, because I feel like he's he sometimes just doesn't know how to... I don't know, just introduce some agency into the operation. I feel like this movie sometimes just wanders. Oh, yeah, I like feel that. Like that's, a great, fe- that's a great example, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, it, you know what it feels like? Like an like like an Abel Ferrara film, where it just gets lost Ooh. in its own... It, like, it's it, it gets lost in its own sort of, like, um, relationship with, with, with visuals. Like, it's sometimes just... You just feel like... You know, like, okay, maybe this is just me who has, like, early onset Alzheimer's and then 30 oh, years from now when I have no idea what, what my fucking name is and I have to wear a bracelet with my address, right? Um, this is <laughs> when people will say, like, you know, like, 30 years ago, like, there are podcasts when he says these things. Like, these are these are signs, you know? <laughs> but then, like, sometimes I have these moments where you just, like, sit and you just, like, drift off for half a second, like, in a meeting sometimes. And people will, like, not even talk to you, but they will just talk about something. And then you just find yourself, like, you come back online and you're like, I have no idea what's happening around me. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of sometimes feel like this ha- this movie has this these moments where you just like like you think you're like so where are we again? Like, is that's this where you like, annou- no, but- is this where you announce that you're a brain surgeon as well? You're a new oh, brain no. surgeon. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, like Soul X style. I'm a my, I'm my own brain surgeon. All I have is a toothpick. <laughs> so, a very long... No, it's like a kebab stick. So oh, you can just like, go right up your nose and just... <laughs> um, so anyway, I like it. Don't love it. George C. Scott is always a pleasure to see because he always like he his delivery is always of a someone like just in contrast to the uh, the Exorcist imagery I just uh, to the second one I just left in your heads, um, whoever is brave enough to listen to this whole shit. Look, he has the energy of a man who's in the middle of the night constipated. God, just. <laughs> Let it happen. Let it happen. <laughs> That's George C. Scott getting ready for a take. Jesus. <laughs> oh I can honestly imagine that he has Christ. on his toilet, he would have handles. Just run this, run this. I don't know how you do this. Oh. I do not know how you do this. I do not know how you do this. Okay. You tell me, Randy, what you feel about Exorcist 3. <laughs> Okay, so (laughs) I've also avoided, not only have I avoided The Exorcist 3 all these years of my life, I've avoided the imagery of George C. Scott bearing down for a bowel movement too, until tonight. He wishes, he wishes. (laughs) Until tonight. No one has told him that fiber is good for him. So, stop, so, stop. Yeah, now, now I've got all this. Okay, <laughs> swimming around in my head. Okay, um, yeah. To echo what you guys said, I don't mind this. I find this an interesting project. You know, I it doesn't really you know suck me in. It doesn't really engage me a lot. I'd be really interested now actually to see the director's cut um, because I think it might hold up a little bit different. I I did honestly think a lot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 when I was watching this because here's the creative who made the stunning original and or I know Friedkin's absent noted but the creative the source of it is now in charge of where do I go with the franchise and I think it's interesting like with Hooper and Texas Chainsaw Massacre the instinct is not to let's just do another one like Halloween too. Let's just sort of do another slasher or just, you know, just do another uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie, you know, like what do we do? Let's go a different direction. And that's definitely what this is. So I think I find that sort of an interesting piece that Blatty has these ideas on how to extend the exorcism averse. And, you know, he's doing it by exploring these other characters. Like he's not tapping into the core of the original. He's saying, okay, well, I'm going to follow these other characters who are connected to the original story. That's interesting. Like it's sort of a bold choice. It ends up being an experiment because you're not just trying to recreate the original. Um, it sort of works. I feel that maybe there's a, a lot of different types of films that have landed in the eighties, which possibly influenced this. You know, the, I think the eighties are a very, uh, they're very interesting. They're a very commercial period where I think you get police procedurals and you get special effects and you get, you know, just sort of some cheesiness might be expected within the horror horror genre. So I think that surfacing here, maybe just because it's at the, the tail end of the the eighties and the start of the nineties. Um, but I'm just I'm fascinating that I'm fascinated that Blatty says, no, I sort of want to pursue this almost police procedural, this serial killer 
angle. I, I just, that is sort of curious to me. So yeah, this is okay. This is good. I, I like George C. Scott as well. Uh, you know, he's always sort of an interesting, interesting, intense watch. I honestly felt bad for the guy in this because I thought that he was wheezing and gasping. Like he really seemed quite ill yes, to me gas. in this. <laughs> it's, <laughs> he's not gasping, Randy. It's just oh, gas. He's just gassy. Gas. <laughs> He's gassy, not gasping. He likes extra onion on his Philly cheesesteak, okay? <laughs> and he goes like, like, you can feel like he's like, like you can see his stomach is just sticking out. He's just like, not, it's not like he's fat. He's like full of methane, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he's he's like, just, <sighs> he just, like, all he needs, all he, probably he's just in the middle of the tea. All he wants to do is just lean to the side, yeah. just lean, just to touch it and go. And you know he's he's he looks exactly the same only with a ponytail and fire starter a few years earlier. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Uh, Anyway. So here we are in 1990, and horror, I would say, has evolved a lot since the last sequel. So do you guys see any influence from, say, Stephen King or films or just the, the different horror franchises? Horror, horror, horror. Horrors are a thing. No, horror franchises are a horrors thing are now. A thing. Horror franchises are a Sorry, thing. They are people too, okay? <laughs> yes, they absolutely are. Horror comedies are even a thing by, you know, the late 80s and into 1990. So do you think that sort of the preceding decade of cinema has influenced at all Blatty in the way that he brought this to uh, brought this to market, just keeping even the the influence of the Morgan Creek and the studio out of it for a bit? Do you, do you think that there's a more of a commercial element that's sort of intended here or am I just making that up? Um, I don't know. I mean, I look at this and I, and I, granted I see it with a contemporary eye. I think it stands quite on its own two feet with what's being made now in that sort of, I know that people don't like these, these words put together, but almost like elevated horror in a sense that they're taking very, um, seasonal genres, but then putting a lot more thematic into it and a lot more tone. I think, I think Yaku's probably right about the, the material is, I think the material is, this material could easily be a dog shit, murder cop story, and something like Darkman 2 or, or like Maniac, Maniac Cop 2 to those degrees where you go direct to DVD budget-wise, whereas this still maintains that level of sophistication behind the camera. In that sense, I think it's elevated. It elevates the mundane into a really quite psychological investment into character. I think I think if, if you look before that, I think there's a few, but I think Jacob's right about the Jalo. I think that you look at this and the Italian horror influence on this one specifically with its iconographer. Um, I think execution for the for the, the previous um, um, entity, but the iconography here with a massive scissors and the nurse outfits mm-hmm. and the laid-back cops who are all overweight, gruffy beards. I do think that... Because this, this really doesn't have Sunglasses much... Sunglasses indoors. Yeah, precisely. I don't think this, this, this film has much uh, conversation on, on social dynamics perhaps even that not that much on on faith itself it's not about god it's not about uh, faith in a religion 
it's faith within oneself and faith within within the community around each other. Um, so, so isn't there like a moral panic about like catatonic people? Like they're so easy to possess. Maybe we should just like <laughs> keep them away. Or, but yeah, or but yeah, exactly. Something. Ship them off on ice flows. There's there's, de- there's definitely a, a different tone this 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 film tries to take, and it, I think it is interesting, Randy, like you said about the um the the police procedure. I do think looking back on it, that's quite a strange. Well, perhaps maybe it's not as strange as 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 well, I make make it out to be, but I do think with the direction that these films could have taken, it's interesting to go back to a third party character in the first film and explore his dynamic with another supporting character, because ultimately. What I think blemishes, not blemishes, what I think flourishes here is that obviously Blatty wrote the novel and Blatty writes these characters, loves these characters. There, there is, there is, there is things, there is, there is own entities. So you get like this sense of passion written through them. So everything that they say, I think you get this byproduct of, well, the writer likes them, the director's liking them, that they, they must have something to sort of, you know, echo and, and, and have a statement. And they do, the, the, the very interesting the dynamics. I do think everything is is a little bit underwritten, perhaps a page or two underwritten. The, the family dynamic is a little bit forced, not really given much precedent for then the final to take to take shape in, especially with with the nurses and stuff. And uh, again, the, the, there is production issues here. And it's interesting what you said, because I, I, just to get this out of the way now, when you put the two versions together, neither one is an answer to the other in the sense that the issues that you might have with the theatrical cut, the director's cut doesn't solve because it has its own internal issues with its its actual production merits with just cutting to video footage in 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 um like one one thirty five point one something like that. It's very strange the aspect ratio because it's video format. It's the negatives. It has black and white sequences at the beginning. It's like cut to cut to a black and white Exorcist three or just Legion. Would make sorry. it even more look like a Nabel Ferrara film. Yeah. So yeah. So that, yeah. Exactly. It's, and I think you said earlier, like when I wanted a chime in, but I didn't get chances. That I think this film feels passive. In that you're you're very much like like there's an the description about before about you know with the characters that surround a, a, an issue that happens in the film, and you would get that retort, that response, and then that's how the the, the characters build up and the immersion, etc this is different in a sense that you you do get that but it's very passive because it doesn't want to show you the gore it wants to focus more on the psychological torment but it's not quite as strong as it thinks it is but with the director's cut you're cutting back and forth to these very unhinged moments in this cell very character driven conversations about who we like you know seeing the face for the first time and i think it's interesting that on a on a on a different read and a different lens, you can look at the Brad, the Brad Dourif character and because he isn't Jason Miller, you can get a sense of, well, is he actually Father Carreras? Is he got this wrong or not? But the film ultimately cements itself as that being the, the, uh, the canonical character. So there's, there's, Makes there's no this, goddamn sense, by the yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. Just so Just so no the, the, sense whatsoever. Yeah. Cause that, no, I agree with you. I think, I think, that's where the theatrical just about gets it right, but I would have kept it as Jason Miller because I don't know if you noticed, but in the opening sequence when they're going through Georgetown in 1973 and we see the little kid, um, Father mm-hmm. Karras actually runs across the screen. Mm-hmm. Did you ever pick that up? Yeah, in the mm-hmm. background, he runs I think... across. <clears throat> I didn't notice. I... 
I, I may have noticed that there was a pedestrian or something, you know, other than the kid with the rose, but no, didn't catch that. Yeah, so well, if if that's what the, the intention is to be, like, mm. there's little details here that ultimately build up to be something, but probably perhaps not the execution of things it's going to be. But it's interesting. We we spoke about the uh, Randy about the implications of, of of what it's been influenced and be, be, beforehand, because I think that, that, that there are certain decisions here, specifically with a murder weapon, where. You, you can you the film builds up on a more realism level of just building character building character and it makes choices in its third act to go quite into the conventional like over the top manner of that i think feel like the antithesis of what's being crafted beforehand which feels undoubtedly like a, a producer's like need to get some iconography get the weapon in like the big get, really unpractical yeah. um, scissors like Jalo scissors. Yeah, so I think, I think Jalo scissors. I think, I think people. It's not even scissors. They're like crab claws. Yeah, it's very strange. Like they're like a lobster claw. But I, so I do think too that. What do they use it for in, in in like the hospital? Like, I need my new claw. Like what? They, I, I think it's the, the corpses for I think autopsies. It's the mold, like, isn't it? Yeah, I just but think why? Ju- yeah, but much just a yeah. very very exactly brief like in the coma. Like no one, no one had like Ed Harris didn't have it in coma when he was eating a sandwich in there. Jesus. Fair enough. But I just think that um, it's it, there are sequences like that where if you're into this film on on the psychological basis of watching these characters unravel, it will be sequences like that that become a determinant to those those audiences, and then vice versa who want to go in there for the schlock, who want to go for the vulgarity and are getting a very different film. So I think it doesn't appease either crowd. So it's a very difficult film, mm. tonally and thematically for a lot of people. For me, I think that schlock piece might be the '80s creeping in. So yeah, there's the yes. there's the scissors and um and and even the the scene in the cell and and it's great and I I sort of like this, but the lighting is not real at all and you've got these shafts of light through fog and the whole fact that if uh, Brad Dorf and Jason Miller that they're they they've got uh, not only all this dialogue and you know philosophy stuff to get through, but also, oh. but he's also um, in a straitjacket. And I just wonder if is is this an attempt to make sort of iconography to sell this film, like imagery that is really going to work for this? Because it is the era of Freddy and Jason, and you know you can go to any video store in the '80s and see some sort of catchy imagery on the the box covers of even the 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 crappiest straight to video uh products so is is this is this sort of finding its way into blatty's sensibilities in terms of how he wants to cover this because if this is 10 years earlier i would suggest a a bunch of this doesn't look this way no i mean like well like there's i think it's it's almost kind of um, like an obstacle trying to kind of just talk about this film as an Exorcist f- sequel because it's not one, right? Because um, the, the way, I, like you've explained it as well, it's just like Bloody de- developed this as a film that was like kind of standalone sort of offspring of of the Exorcist based on the fact that the Zodiac Killer really liked the film, right? <laughs> just, okay, so fine so he goes like also the gemini killer is kind of like the zodiac killer right um mm-hmm. and that's kind of where, what it was but then he shelves it 
because no one wants to make the movie and then he just writes it as a book and then he writes the script based on a book that he based on the script that he wrote for William Friedkin so it's kind of like a circular sort of reference to it's like it's like recursively literary right because it feels like it has these issues like uh, and like when you were mentioning Stephen King like yeah it has a Stephen King problem as in like it has no idea how to end itself agreed um mm-hmm. <laughs> which is for me, this may be a byproduct. I haven't read the book, but I will because I promised myself I'll go through the bloody um, trilogy of faith. Um, I have less time than I th- hoped I would, so I'm, I haven't even gotten to do the half of the Exorcist yet. But you know, like you bear with me, okay? Updates are coming. You can do it. I I just feel that there's this I there's he has these ideas that work very well on the page. Like the conversation in the cell is probably great on the page because what you're doing is you're, you're reading people talk to each other and they fill in the blanks yourself. doesn't matter what they look like. So, and then how, how do you translate this into visual terms without having a uh, father Karas and Brad Dourif Chucky, right? Just in, intermingling and then also just having George C. Scott feeding him lines, feeding him prompts like he's some kind of like Legion GPT, right? Um, So that he would just keep spouting off these sort of very elaborate lines that are very written because there's just no no other way to deal with the scene other than either remove it completely, in which case like what do you do? Like write a new ending? Or, Or 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 like, how do you make it visual? You can't, because it's just a scene with excessive amounts of dialogue, which probably translates much better when you read it than you, when you look at it, because I feel like that's kind of how this movie... All, like, a lot of it... Um, again, it's... when Like, a lot of the film is people not saying much, and just you, you just see them wander about. And then sometimes when they do speak, they speak a lot, because they have to unload this exposition, they have to make sure that everything's foreshadowed correctly... And then this is what well, this is where I, where I mentioned like this is this this is a Stephen King problem. This is a Stephen King connection, but I think the connection is to William Peter Blatty being his own screenwriter, adapting from his own book that he wrote based on a screenplay, and the fact that we historically know that when he wrote the original draft of The Exorcist, it was dog shit, right? So he may maybe doesn't know how to kill his darlings correctly, and then there's no one overseeing him. So that's why it sometimes looks like it just has these weird connections to other things, and I, I feel that the, the only connection it has is is its creator's ego not being able to kind of control itself. I think you're right, and because there's a there's a there's a story that George C. Scott tells in this about a carp swimming in his bathtub, and it's the <laughs> yes. dumbest, and that's in the book. So this is like just. And I think this is just strictly, I got to get this in here. And it's so cool in the book, but it just does not come out here. No, he has it just doesn't work. It, it doesn't work. Like there's one thing that it works when he just leans into the guy and in this sort of angry George C. Scott way. He goes like, I haven't had a bath in three days. <laughs> that, that was probably just, just, but just something totally- that was captured while the camera was still running but this is this is a <laughs> nugget of like this is an this is something that writers do like you will speak to someone yeah. who would be of polish origin or some description 
and then they'll tell you a story. Like I would tell you this, like this is something like the carpet in a bathtub is something that brings me back to my childhood because <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> what you do. Christmas in Poland, ask anyone who was brought up in Poland or like wherever you eat carp is, 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 is you get carp live from a shop somewhere in a bag full of water and this fish is this fucking big right you bring bring it home and you and then you, and it stays in the bathtub for a couple of days because otherwise if you just kill it and eat it it's going to be terrible because it's just a, it's a bottom dwelling fish so it's just it, its skin is just loaded with mud it's going to be muddy and bleh. so three days before christmas there's the uh, the rite of preparing the carp for slaughter and then your dad then turns the entire bathroom into a crime scene just lays down the plastic wrap because because the carp believe like i don't know if you've ever killed a fish like if you if you kill like i don't know um a trout it's a fairly bloodless affair like they don't necessarily have a vascular system carps do (laughs) <laughs> like like this one this. Christmas, I remember like like <laughs> this Christmas is not being able to take a bath for three days. Everyone kind of sort of stinks because you can't really do a good job with just a sink because the the fish are in the bathtub. Your cats are going ape shit because they, they want, there's fish in the bathtub. They want the fish. Right, and these fish are nasty as well because they're big and they have a spike in their dorsal fin, so they thrash around and actually spike you. So, and then and then the Christmas is not being able to to <laughs> to take a bath for three days. Everyone's kind of agitated because no one had a shower. And then on Christmas Eve morning, you like what happens is, <laughs> is or maybe even the day before Christmas, like the what the the sound that you'll hear in your head would be your dad go, going to the to, to the bathroom, laying out the plastic. I mean, he goes in there with a knife and a hammer and he <laughs> just God. murders seven fish before he guts them and, uh, and, and, then, and then converts them into nice fillets and then turns the, the entirety of the bathroom into a kill room from Dexter. Okay? So it's the sound of fins flopping to the tune of the hammer going as he's trying to kind of stun them into submission before he cuts their heads off. Okay. Right. And Merry Christmas, lo- everyone. So that's real. <laughs> Blatty loves this story. Yes. But- and he probably goes like, I don't think he needs to make it into my film this is- or a book. <laughs> right. But to me, it's why? an example. It's an example of why is it there? You know, because it's, it's fun to tell this story sometimes. And then look at these people going like, these savages what do they do for christmas again <laughs> so when this show is edited i wonder if this carp story will be edited out <laughs> no i don't edit anything apart from like jack's breathing because he's just like i, I can see this <laughs> waveform right. <sighs> breathing into the mic <laughs> to, be fair, to be fair you can't this the story was so bleak and very 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 like <laughs> explanatory i can't help but like going <laughs> sorry merry no, christmas everyone yeah i i um i agree with you before about your statements um with the ego I do think that being writer, being screenwriter, being an adapter of your screen of your screenplay from a book, and also being a director, it's quite a hefty palette of no one else being above you to say no. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. the the people who were above him above him in the hierarchy 
or not particularly bothered about the material on, on the page, but wanted certain things added to it, not then um, regulated. They, want, they wanted Reagan to give birth to twins. Yeah, it's like... Or something to, like that. So yeah. they're also not particularly smart. No, exactly. Right, so, and I, I, yeah. And then, yeah, so Robinson, you're referring to, right, Jack? So the, he catches wind that, oh, this thing is almost finished and there's no exorcism. Like, where is that support of Blatty all the way through? Like, like I, I think that one of the things that I'm hearing, and I agree, is that Blatty needs a partner. Like, he needs a Friedkin to sort of manage his ideas or replace things, you know, the, the way that some of these good creators, they need someone to bounce off, bounce ideas off of. And Blatty doesn't have that here. So he's sort of going unchecked until James Robinson says, what do you mean there's no exorcism? Aren't we naming it the Exorcist 3? You have to, okay, here's three or four million, go shoot something. And that's a problem. And and it's interesting that uh, William Peter Blatty has said that that he didn't want to do that, but did and thought within his capabilities he could execute that to be quite some, something majestic. And ultimately it turned out to be a piece of shit. And it's interesting that mm-hmm. he would he would regulate his thoughts on, an, on, a, on a part of the feature that was forced upon him. I wouldn't obviously self-regulate on other things. Um, but it, but it is interesting. It's 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 the age old, age old question that if this didn't had the Exorcist um, thing on it and it was just called Legion and it was released and people could look at it and be like, oh yeah, this is an Exorcist sequel. It all it ultimately by its own definition ingrains itself into to that own world. So there's no escaping I mean, it. So you know, I, I, if I, it I, were... go on, go ahead. No, I, just, I, just, I... I just wanted to say like <laughs> if it was if it was kind of like a, like oh. Like, like if it wasn't just Legion, then you wouldn't have these connections to Father Carras, yeah, exactly, Karras, right? Whatever. So like, no one would be thinking that because I'm looking at this. I'm just like, why is there Father Carras? Like this, all all this movie needs is for these names to be removed, and it's just a standalone thing. <laughs> Do you think it works as a standalone, Jacob? As a Jalo horror about some kind of a mental patient possessing a bunch of old women, yeah. <laughs> See, I think it does as well. I think this is a this is a ten year evolution of the ninth configuration, which I haven't seen, but know enough about. Next week, no, two weeks from now, yeah, baby. It, yeah, which will be interesting to you, to do them in quick succession because it does feel like the next evolution of what he was trying to investigate there within psychology and and, and the psychological attribute of horror. This feels an attempt to match both of them together and get a commercial hit, which is interesting because ultimately sacrificing his own beast in order to profit off it which for someone to have such horrible reactions of the of the predecessor film it's interesting i mean he he lived long enough to 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 see the prequels i know we're doing as well i'd be astonished to know what he thought about schrader's version because it's very much in a very similar vein oh christ yeah they're they're going to be interesting recordings but i i still appreciate see this is what I was on about previously, Randy, with um, with John Borman's film, is that there's an attempt in both films to create something new but retain a sort of identity and the fact that this film feels as close as you can possibly get to, to the to Freakin's version without actually being The Exorcist. So I appreciate that, but I also think the material here is on its own, in its own kin, by its own standards, it's interesting enough for it to travel by itself. But hence why I asked Jakob, do you think it would work on its own? I don't know if you would agree, but the the previous entity couldn't. It cannot work on its own. I think this could, uh, granted, with a few oh, yeah. bits and yeah. ums and ahs turned around, you know, 
turn you know the A's around and the R's around. You've you've got something else, but I still think it it it, it pushes itself enough to be distinctively different, but also retain the same sort of instincts as it's you know the house that built it ultimately. Like so, look, if oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it, again, going back to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre two thing. It's it, I, I do find it fascinating that sort of the the brains behind the Exorcist at the outset. Here he is. He's responsible for sort of ex- extending the franchise or continuing the world or continuing the universe, whatever, however you want to view it. <clears throat> and he's he's choosing intentionally to get away from the very core of the original, which we saw in Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. I would say like T- Toby Hooper is just trying to get away, try something, inter- try something different. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, Blatty for for doing that here, um, but I, I do I find it fascinating. Like, do these creatives say to themselves, "I've done it once. I want to do something completely new. It's okay. I'm in the same universe, but I'm I'm not going the same route." Just as if they as if they felt I've I've covered that before, and I don't want to do it again because I don't know how to do the same thing again. Uh, I have a theory about this. I've, I've, okay, go for it. We might we lay might it, the, lay it out. We might be on the same lines here. I think he's he didn't want to use um, The Exorcist 3 because then he had to acknowledge that the sequel um, before it came about. I think he's playing 4D chess here. I think he wants to create something new by indulging in these characters to give himself a go, but by also not abominizing and sodomizing the, uh, the, pre, the, the first entry in The Exorcist because it's gold. I think he's trying to go past that lane, that, that, that double-sided blade, and trying not to get caught. And I think... He just about scrapes through it, but there's, there's not there's undoubtedly blood on the floor because he, he, ha, he it's just an entity that has to go through the stick, it has to go through the shit. And 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 granted, I don't think he he sodomizes the first film, and I also think that this I love stands how on. I ruined this show by using the word sodomize before. No, well, you know, <laughs> sure, I think your cap story took took, took the, the fucking gold the in this one, my friend. Who made this piece of shit are in this room. <laughs> But but I think he's I think he's consciously incredibly aware he's, he's that he's talking about this podcast, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, I, <laughs> I, think, I, I do think he's um, he's incredibly aware and conscious that that the same thing that him and Freakin thought the second one, he cannot make the same mistakes. But he does give mm-hmm. himself an out by being the creator of the original in novel form and and uh, allegedly through through the screenplay. So. It, 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 it is interesting to see that moral ambiguity that he's got. But I think he, he could probably be rest assured that this it's never going to be as bad as the second one anyway. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, but presumably through production, he probably had nightmares of thinking, what are we doing here? But I think he comes out of this quite unscathed. I think he does. I think he, he, he allows the ground that built the, the, the first film to be sacred ground. We're not going to touch it. No, no problem. My film's going to be different. I think he gets away mm. with it here. I think he, I think he would to, probably be quite proud of this achievement. To a degree, yeah. I and I think he tries to talk himself around this, but I think he does leave a little bit with his tail between his legs because yes. Daddy made him put the exorcism scene in. I couldn't do it the way I wanted. Daddy made me go back. <laughs> it's <coughs> it's kind of one of those. Remember when you talk about hardcore and about these sort of like changes and the studio made me do this, and then this is where you want to kind of be like Tarantino and say like. Well, then you don't fucking make the movie, okay? You say like, put your foot down and say, oh, they won't, they won't let me do it. Then, then they don't. Then you don't do it. You don't have to, like, do something else. 
But you've already written this as a book. It was great. Okay. This is you know, a, I, maybe a little different too, because it's not fights along the way. Like he, he mostly has this thing packaged and delivered. And then Morgan Creek says, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's no exorcism in this. You got to go back. You know, like I think he ruffled feathers by um, spending his whole budget and not having an exorcism. Like <laughs> I think there was a an agreement that, uh, you know, one party thought they had and the other party didn't know that they had. And I think Morgan Creek was probably pissed off that they had to shell out another $4 million just to put an exorcism in here. See, this is again, I'm going to launch on a rant about how brain dead fucking gobshites oh, in right. studio sort of oversight just run things that these should, these should people, these people don't know how to run a bath, let alone a, a studio. Okay. And then just decide on what's going to work and what won't like, I'm like, you know, I don't know anything about making movies, but I know that I know what, what works and what doesn't. And you know, like this, this doesn't work. Like the, the idea of like, why isn't this a se- an exorcist sequel? You're William Peter Blatty. This suppose- and then they don't see it. like this movie actually connects to the exorcist. It, this like I, by the way, I like the idea that apart from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this is probably the only franchise that connects to the original alone. Like disregards everything else around it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, it connects to the original thematically. This is something that I'm pretty sure William P- Peter Blatty is smart enough to know this, and he's doing because I think if if I if I remember if I know if my knowledge of, of the ninth configuration is correct this is a yeah another film about mental health this film is connected to the exorcist by way of trying to find the blurry the blurry bit between the sort of the lines between science and superstition right in the exorcist you have this conversation of what the mother thinks is a mental illness the priest sees as a demonic possession and then you start to and then you start to have a conversation about whether something that we don't understand is medicine yet to be discovered, or is this something a little bit different that has been with us alone? Is this a, is this a product of our fear? You don't know. But then the, there's always this sort of the line between the horror of medicine versus horror of religion. And yeah. here you have the same concept as in like trying to have a con. I mean, not the same concept, but it's again trying to have a conversation about the relationship of how human mind when it goes out of whack if something happens to it what does it mean do we lose our humanity are are we in connection with something else or is this just a chemical imbalance of some description we don't know because we don't know very very much about the human brain right so he's having these conversations of mental health versus um superstition and religion right in here as well it's a and if you if you Tack it onto the ninth configuration. They form what the in the art house crowd knows since like the fifties and sixties, because people like Bergman have been have been making films that are sort of thematically kind of just connected somehow. And critics would call them thematic trilogies, and that's one, right? And if you just allow this heretic to just exist like this sort of malformed child that's just a like keep under the oh, stairs, God. like no one talks about heretic. Okay, just it's he's like the gimp, just oh, <laughs> just sitting there, like just no one has to know, right? Then the, this and the ninth configuration and the Exorcist form a thematic trilogy that um, all of a sudden, if you don't meddle with this shit as a producer and say like, 
this needs to be the Exorcist sequel. How do people? How will people know? Like they, they want, they, they assume I'm dumb enough that I don't, that I'm too dumb to understand that these things are connected on something more than just aesthetics or iconography. Like I don't like. Oh, it, it doesn't have an Exorcist. How is this a spiritual sequel to the Exorcist? Because of the mental health, health dummy. Like, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Karolko or whoever. You don't like. You don't know what this means. Like, watch some Bergman. Bergman who? Like. Max von Sydow is is the uh, the guy who was in all these Bergman films. Oh right, I thought he was just a known uh, an unknown actor that they picked up from I don't know where. Like this yeah. is I feel like this is how American Hollywood producers they function. Like they're you know like every day when they cross the street and they make it out alive, they give themselves a self five. You know like that's kind of how I feel because this movie is is sort of almost like a like a third entry because like the knife configuration came out like a decade earlier right mm-hmm. it's a third entry into a an, into like three almost three decades long thematic trilogy about faith and science it's kind of what it is and then if you stop meddling with this this movie would have been a four and a half out of five but it's not because people fucked it up do you know just to anyway. be quick there as well um not to be a conspirator here i'll just is that an just, answer to your question greg <laughs> Yes. To summarize yes. um, William Peter Blatty's uh, opinion of it, I think having shot all that footage and being quite well, not perhaps he questioned what he was making and if that he was he was doing the right thing. Did, did you know this, this is the film I want to make? Really, in 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 the long run, the Morgan Creek interference has helped him with his conscious conscience because he can ultimately blame the interference for any sort of mistakes he's put in this film. You can say, well, well, Morgan, oh, Morgan Creek. And such I, a puss-puss sort of and, mentality. Yeah, it's just and, like, and, oh, it's, I, not, yeah. it's not going to be my fault if it fails, then I can just like, no, own this shit. Tell them that yeah. you're, you're not you're not having this. And, and obviously... You know, like, we'll be, like, what would Friedkin do? Friedkin would just... The people you know, who made this piece I don't of give a flying in this room! <laughs> Could you imagine Friedkin bowing to these people? Like, Lalo Schifrin composed a, a beautiful score for, for The Exorcist, and he and he, and he fired him on the spot in the presence of his wife and he called him a fucking moron, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, he th- and he went and he took the music, went outside and threw it in the bin. Well, Just also <laughs> also as well, though, I think Freakin had the talents of hits underneath him and was going ma- to make big, big films. William Peter Blatty had only made a film 10 years before and was ultimately cornered off by making horror films. Perhaps it's a little bit, not, not. I don't disagree with you. I think if you're gonna if you're gonna be morally bankrupt, don't do it on your own dime either. But in the same token, I do think that sort of the the, the cards are stacked against him in that you want to work here, don't you? Let's play the game a little bit. That being said, I so I do I do agree with you. He, he's a writer. It's based on his novel. If he's going to put the exorcism exorcism scene in, don't make the film in the first place. Make what you want to make. So I do, I do. Exactly. I do, Go I do, to I do Europe. Do it in Europe. It's probably yeah. going to be cheaper. You're probably going to get some sponsorship from from but some I, kind of like national funds. Like it's going to happen. Just don't, I don't, don't, like no one has, no one forces anyone to make full movies in Hollywood. Just come to Europe. Like it's such a <laughs> free and en- enterprise. Like no one stands over your head and goes like, it is needs an exorcism. But see, I think he did sort of make the film that he wanted. It wasn't until he basically delivered the thing. So it's a, like the timing of this is a little awkward as as well. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I sort of feel for the guy because he's delivered something that probably is pretty close to his vision, probably fairly faithful to his novel, and probably something he's quite proud of. And now 
like I say, he's, he's, he's dealing with, okay, you got to go shoot this, you go shoot something with an exorcism or the whole thing's going to be canned or there might, who knows, there might be lawsuits involved. You know, you didn't deliver this. Like he's, in, I, I think he's in an awkward position and I think the rug is pulled out from under him at a weird time. Yes. And Friedkin may very well have had the balls to say, well, I don't care, shelve it. And, uh, but it's not like there was this, this problem type of relationship with Morgan Creek through most of the duration of pre-production and production. Like in my understanding, it's towards the end of production, the thing's almost ready to deliver. And it's like, oh, you got to go back. I, I feel bad for Blatty and the timing. It's like, you know, well, what do I do? Like I've got all this time invested in it. Maybe I can make something that's sort of okay. And then it I mean, happens that it sort of arses up the film. The irony is that this is obviously, <laughs> not to jump a few episodes in the future, but this is not the first time this has happened to this franchise either. So th- there's definitely sort of an inkling of, if you if you can't agree on what outcome you're going to get, why go through the, the, the hassle of this? franchise is an abomination. Yeah, and, it and, spits and, in the face yeah. of God that it, uh, that it actively contests Jesus. the existence of. <laughs> I mean, also as well, I mean, these films they're asking auteurs then at this point they're asking individuals with the perception of making very Mm. streamlined films in their sense of view of Paul Schrader it's going to be an internal monologue Peter Blatty is going to be this conversation about science and religion it does fall more so on the producers feet by choosing these people to craft these projects and then wanting your own interpretation of it that doesn't seem a fair, a fair assessment. Granted, they're they're hiring these people, but in the same token, you're hiring on the qualities of what they can do, not not what you want in the film. It, it, there is definitely a um, a difficult relationship balance there. But it, again, it it is interesting that you know th- th- this film wrestles with itself and just see. I agree with Jakob. I think this film really struggles to find an ending. This doesn't happen, does it? Yeah, it just doesn't know what to do. <laughs> Twice in one day. Yeah. Jesus. Oh <laughs> uh, well, don't get yeah, it cocky. Is there a doctor around? <laughs> but it just it just stumbles the ending. It doesn't know what to mm. do. It's it's bizarre because it feels like it bi- it's building up, building up, building up, and then just not bottles it, but just whimpers out. Very strange. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of like you know, like a bottle of coke that you just like you open it a little bit and you see like, oh shit, it's gonna be, it's gonna be terrible. So you just like quickly close it back out and back up and just like okay, just let it just ten seconds and you just feel like I'm gonna be very careful. And it turns out it's just like Bleh. not much. Disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> and I don't. I don't Do you think guys have either, anything else on this? I just don't think either version um, prospers from that ending as well. I think mm-hmm. rushing back to the house in either version as well doesn't do anything it's very like anticlimactic from that moment forward so when you get the exorcism sequence it's just what and then you get the anticlimactic execution sequence in the director's cut they both struggle to find and maintain a level of um, decorum but also gravitas because each sequence comes at the uh, in in a very bombastic way especially the theatrical cut where you've got that and then you've got the exorcist exorcism sequence in itself to then just end and then even mm-hmm. made even worse in the director's cut by you've got this really anticlimactic sequence where he tries to save his daughter just by the i mean it's 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 
And just well like done. Yanks, yanks her head. Yeah, by like an the, inch from the, from the lobster claw. Yeah, and then we go back <laughs> to the the uh, the asylum. They have a conversation, and he goes like, "You won't be bothering anyone anymore," and shoots him three times. It's just there seems to be this sort of rush to find an an answer in both films. The question that Jakob brought up about what is he trying to find here? The 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 conversation and ultimate acceptance of science or, or religion in, in one's life and the answers for that. Maybe it's mm-hmm. a conscious element, but that both both versions of the film fail to answer that. And I would be very interested to see how he tries to answer that in his book. So maybe I'll do some investigation. I'll, I'll let you know once I've read it. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I, I think if yeah. the book's fundamentally flawed, then then he's gonna there's going to be no hope for this. So... Yeah. Possibly, but you know, like, stay tuned for for more on that. I don't know. Before Christmas, it's gonna be some answers. But I'll I'll say this, like, the, like if if I like, because this is for me, like, at least. Okay, well, I'm trying to examine a film that doesn't exist get, because it's kind of just okay. Well, maybe it, it could have been something else. Because I really wish this this wasn't a franchise. I really hoped, you know, like when Moses came down from the mountain, he had three tablets. He broke one, and on the other one, there were five other commandments. Two of which was, "Thou shalt not make sequels to The Exorcist," and another one, "Thou shalt not let James Earl Jones wear grasshopper outfits in public." <laughs> um, so the other three, I don't know what they are. I'm gonna find out soon enough. But no. <clears throat> What I think, that, like, if this movie is what it is, as in, like, you look at it and just, like, even, okay, even with the Exorcist connections, as in, like, the Father Karras and the Dyer and, 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 and George C. Scott being uh, the Kinderman l- lieutenant, right? Yep. Okay, great. And it lives sort of like a, dis- like, like a Jallo film. And I kind of appreciate it on the, f- on, on the level of if this is a Jallo film and Jallo films are kind of these sort of proto slashers and the slashers happened before. So it's a proto slasher post slasher as in like, it's kind of like a reflective Jallo film that's trying to kind of just push it a little bit further into some other territory because it could have just had a slasher villain. Like, it could have had a Norman Bates. As in, like, someone's fucking insane. Somewhere in here running around the pl- with, with with the lobster claw scissors, right? This is just a slasher movie, just in, in this more canonical format. But it kind of elevates it just slightly by assuming, okay, one of these people is actually hidden somewhere and is... Uh, uh, you know, it's he's possessed with a with a demon who's called Legion because there's many, so there's probably more of them, and he just like keeps possessing these different people, and that's the and that's the twist that there's more than one killer. It's like the self, you know, murder on the Orient Orient Express, only everyone's insane, you know. So I find this is this could this is an interesting angle for a slasher film, which. And also using the iconography and the aesthetic of a Jalfa makes it visually interesting, and especially especially if you consider that this whole slasher subgenre came out of these sort of Argento and Fulci and and Bava films, right? So I find it interesting. It's just I feel this uh, almost it's just it's weighed down by the sort of the, like it has a sort of stone by the neck with just the, the Exorcist written on it, like it's almost like a burden for it. That's kind of yeah. how I feel about it, anyway. That's it's the kind cross of like, it he... has to bear. <laughs> I do. I, I did, Yeah. It's. I, I try not to use yeah. any more sort of Judeo-Christian iconography, <laughs> Ezra. When you're like, yeah, it's kind of I what agree. it is. I agree. Anything else you guys want to talk about? No, I, I, I finals. Just, I, I would. There's I a couple other things that might come Yaku. up out of our our tops. Yeah. No, okay. I I agree. I, well said. 
Okay, so Jack, final impression of this uh, star rating if you got it, and uh, then we'll get into our tops and bottoms. Uh, having seen both versions, I'd probably give the theatrical cut if uh, four stars, and I give this four stars. I, 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 so both I'm very four much, stars. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm very much more lukewarm on, on these two features or the, the the two versions of this feature than perhaps you two are, but this is this is probably exactly what I wanted, if not more, from a sequel specifically coming from what we got beforehand. It was never going to be something like The Exorcist. I think it has a natural evolution that feels it, it elevates the material to a second wind to explore something else within Georgetown. I think George C. Scott's really good here at just watching someone break. Um, granted, I think another actor with with even more um, emotive uh, power, especially prowess, could really have showcased this terror crumble throughout. But I think George C. Scott does a decent enough job. I like the score, I like the sound design. There's a lot here I quite quite enjoy. I think it's interesting to to, to see a film that's now got both versions, and people can can devise what they think about them both. They both have very similar issues. An amalgamation of the two together is probably the definitive uh, version you, you could probably get. But um, for, for a third outing, I think it's fine. I think it's really good fun t- on some parts. Very pulpy, very sleazy. Other parts, very psychological. It's got this weird tonal shift all the time where we'll be having a joke between two characters about lemon drops and about the carp in the, the hot tub. And then the second, <laughs> second later, we're talking about horrifying moments of acceptance of a serial killer. Um, cutting up bodies in half. This is Anka Jim's podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about, and we do, and and we agree that we talk about for at least as much as it as long as it takes to watch these yes. films, and sometimes twice as long. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, but I, I did think that watching the director's cut would solve issues, and it didn't. But I'm still gonna say, gonna go on a whim and say that this is probably my my second favorite out of the all of them. I will have to watch this, the, no. the prequels again, but they're nowhere near as, as probably affectionate as I am towards this. I have a really good time with this. Um, I think I think from a second outing from William Peter Blatter, makes me want to go watch the ninth, the ninth figuration, which we're, configuration we're going to do on this podcast in a few weeks. I think he's a very interesting character who made a very Boom. interesting film with with not that's got a few blemishes on it, but overall, it's nothing on John Borman's, which I thank just thank fucking God for. But yeah, I, I'm I'm a lot more, loop, more a lot more warm on this than 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 I think you two are, which I'm surprised with. All right, Jakob, is he right? It's only ever so slightly. I think it's like a three and a half out of five. I'm, yeah. If I'm being Ooh. honest, and it would have been a little bit better if it if, if it wasn't for the fact that you know, like okay, even with this Karis, so the double ending is what would really. Um, it just makes you realize that this movie should have ended like 15 minutes earlier, right? This is there's this sort of moment where you just feel like I'm ready to go home now, boss. You know, <laughs> and then <laughs> just can we turn off the light? And then no, it keeps plowing on. It just keeps happening. <laughs> so, so I just feel like this is where you like you essentially shave a half a star where you re- realize that like we could have been done with this like 20 minutes before <laughs> um but overall i feel like it's it's an all right film uh you can you can enjoy george c scott because he's just a fun person to be around because you're like you're like you're never bored with a with a drunken maniac <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 
it's uh. constantly gassy. <laughs> you just feels like he's probably angry because he, he really wants to have a shit, but he can't because he just made this crucial mistake in his life that he adopted 100% protein diet and no one told him it was a big mistake. Um, Good lord. Jesus. Yeah. So I like this film. I wish, you know, because at this point, like even the director's cut is, is not going to really cut it because it's it feels like it's like it's just cobbled together to approximate what this cut would have looked like. Right. So you almost yes. wish like someone could come back and do it again. But just call it Legion. This movie should have been just that. And I feel like this this is where this movie is a four and a half out of five. And, and it functions as a as a sort of fully operational sort of spiritual sequel to The Exorcist, the way it could have been, as in without attaching itself to anything in it other than the themes. That's kind of what I wanted this movie to be. And it's kind of like if you squint, it, you can just about find it there. But then if you don't squint and just look in the right ways, uh, uh, like you'll find a, like a very weirdly misshapen Jalo film made by a guy who doesn't know how to kill his darlings, really. So that's where I am. Yep. I I agree with both of you guys, although I'll, I'll say I'll give it two and a half stars because I don't quite enjoy the experience. To, to me, there's uh, a little bit of an element here where there's a lot of setup and no finish. It's, it's sort of like my my boys' soccer team this summer that, you know, they're good players, they can pass it, they can set up plays, but no one has... <laughs> any type of finish no one can score no one can bring it home uh so despite all the talent there so i i feel that is what this film is a little bit we've we've got the you know the business of the the police procedural you know it it could have been better with that it could have brought that home a little bit better the business with the serial killer the the business with maybe another type of uh 80s franchise type of guy like the the possessor who <laughs> jumps into the bodies of old catatonic women or whatever. It could have been more of that. It could have been a little bit more of the, the hangout stuff between Dyer and Kinderman. It, it just doesn't really ace any of it, but it's interesting. And it, it was a really cool discussion for me. Um, and I really think as both of you said, like it, it could have been a bit more, but the Morgan Creek interference at the end, I feel bad for Blatty. I think that, he delivers this thing more or less the way that he wanted it. And then, you know, he was sort of slapped down and he was told, you don't have the power you think you do. Go fix that boy. And so he sort of sulks off to his room and has to go put in this exorcism ending. And I feel, I feel bad for him. And and that business with the ending and, you know, nothing against Nico Williamson, whose performance is fine in it, but it just doesn't belong. And it's just it sort of messes things up, gums it up for me. So uh, that's where I am on it. But I would sort of say too, Uncut Gem, yeah, it's worth checking out. But it's not a film too many people would have a love affair with, I don't think. All right, tops and bottoms. Jack, let's have your top list. No problem. So um, my top three, I think, I think my bottom one would be the performance of George C. Scott. I think he gives this film it's gravitas. A it's a top one, right? Yeah. Oh, okay, it's a top list, right? Top list. Performance of George C. Scott. Okay. I, wow. I, I actually think he's quite good. I don't give a flying fuck into a rolling <laughs> joke. Wrong clip. This was just fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think he shows really good depth here. Um, I, I do think, as, as I mentioned multiple times, 
I think a better actor understanding the material would show a more clear decline with the actual events that unfold. I think he's just on gear one and he maintains that throughout. But nevertheless, I think he does give the film a, 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 a bit of an emotive pulse. Um, I think the, the the second one, I think I like this as a sequel, but I also think it stands really well as itself. I think I said this to Randy throughout the podcast, but I think it just it, it does really well on that really double-sided blade. Of uh, of not getting cut up too much, I think it does quite well in 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 standing on its own two feet with with slight issues. Uh, but my top one is um, I really I really like how this thematically ties into the first film because I know that Freakin said this on the record that no I think it was actually William Peter Blatty who said this that he was concerned that audiences didn't understand whether or not uh, Father Karras was demonically possessed to throw himself out the window or threw himself out the window to stop the demonic possession of Regan. And I think this film does an equally as interesting job if, with the Jason Miller connection in the fact that that, that that's that survival at the end of the, down the stairs, which is continuously shown in this film in, in its opening opening 10 minutes, like three or four times, asks the, asks the same question, which is interesting that he was asking himself if it was achieved that way, but then in his actual film within itself <laughs> did the same thing. But again, Jason, Jason Miller's performance in, in the theatrical cut, specifically in that he jumps in and out of states, that the, 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 there's a, a connection there that the demon or a demon's not quite finished with him, I think is a really interesting thematic. And you've got to work for that, I think. And it's only really relevant in the theatrical nevertheless. But I think that's my, one, of, one of my strongest attributes of this, that it does try to continue on a theme, very subtle theme of the first film, which I think... It, this film is all abundant of with, with secondary characters. It just feels like it fills in the blanks a little bit by not being a detriment to the predecessor, very much like the, what the second film did by trying to intercontextualize certain sequences to make itself relevant. This film didn't do that and did it in a far better, subtle way, which felt more authentic for me. Great. Jakob? In a way, I just, by the way, I just feel... That the, uh, the the very idea of trying to connect the characters to the original and saying that like Father Karras survives undermines the fir- the or- Friedkin's film just a tiny bit. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, because like part of it is just the fact that it's a sacrifice, and then he just about makes it. As Randy explained to me, it's just like oh yeah, this is like how these of the last rites kind of work, right? It just about makes it so his, his he's absolved because he makes this ultimate and like I don't know how people not didn't get it in 1973. So I don't know. Does he does he take the spirit into it? It's like yes, he does. Yes, he takes the demon into his own self and he throws himself out the window, thus making the final sacrifice. Um, and then ah, perfect ending. Okay. And just be, I think, be, that, I think that's also an interpretation as well. I think the whole <sighs> film levels a little bit like that. Nothing is astute. And granted, I don't think it changes the experience for me either way. I can see it as what <clears throat> Freakin intended. I can see it as what Peter Blatty was trying to intend it as. But I like that, that the idea that there is that perhaps, that nature, that what perhaps. like There's a there's a fundamental value in that we can talk about it. There's, there's a discussion to be had. Not like the second film, which is mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, we saved him if we took out his heart. What? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I, I feel like it works a bit, bit more authentically. Jack, is there stuff in the director's cut where we we see um, 
more about Karis and sort of how he survived or does he was I reading somewhere that they we, we see a scene where he sort of comes out of the grave or out of the morgue or, or something <laughs> so so they, like a novelization that, like or, just Boba Fett getting out of the Sarlacc pit right. there's a so, whole book about it the opening is is um is Kinderman uh, George C. Scott. This is not actually in the film, but you can watch it on the deleted scenes. But this was meant to be opening. Goes to see the body in the morgue in 1973. Checks the face of it. Checks the body. Identifies the body. Leaves. And all of a sudden, the heart monitor starts beeping. But then, what's interesting enough is that they actually dig up his body in the director's cut to find another priest that had gone missing very shortly after the murders themselves. So that the the the, the body that was buried. Is actually not um, Father Karras, It's Patient X. So again, like in a way, I'm just not. I'm just not happy that writing. they didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's very much like a The Omen. Like it's like an unofficial sort of crossover with The Omen. They, they should have dug up and it's like, what is this? It's a dog. Yeah, I mean, okay. if you're going to be quite honest about it as well, the idea that they bring Jason Miller back or Brad Dourif to play. Um, Father Karras actually undermines the whole Gemini killer itself as well if you actually look into it as, as a bottom three but anyway we'll get to that I'm sure oh yeah but, I mean, uh, Brad, oh. Brad Dorf was brought in um, I was reading because Jason Miller couldn't handle all the dialogue yeah he had wet brain he's, he's, yeah so it was a struggle to memorize his lines <laughs> so anyway he had so much to say too much to say some would say some would say, all right, sorry, where did we leave off? Is that my tops? Tops, did you get, yeah, tops. Okay. Three scenes I have that I really want to um, mention. One is the uh, confessional scene. When Ooh. the priest speaks to, uh, to mm-hmm. a blackness in this voice is creepy AF. That's Colleen really nice. Dewhurst. Very nice. <laughs> Canada's grandmother right there. Jesus. Nice. <laughs> um, very unsettling image, which kind of just tells you this is kind of the evolution of the slasher. And also, a bit like if it was just a film called Legion, and you can see this is just about enough of a wink to the exorcist, is the spy- spider lady on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sped up. Very weird, because it's no sounds whatsoever. Like things just happen, and she just moves about and backs off <laughs> and i'm just saying perfect perfect scare because it's just it's not jumpy um and it and it just really just irks you just a tiny bit speaking of jumpy the the mo- best moment is what i call the um the eyes eyes glass jump scare into the corridor jump scare this is so jalo mm. but kind of sort of formalized because it's in these long takes with a camera on a tripod only cutting away to to gen to generate this suspense for a second into this um, room when she walks in to find out what's mm-hmm. the noise and it's just someone has iced tea, um, and the first jump scare jump scare is a very sort of native jump scare as in like no music cues, no non diegetic sounds. It's just a man going like what the fuck, and she goes like ah, <laughs> and I'm just like shit, fuck. and she leaves and then. And then 60 seconds later, there's just the, the lobster claw comes out. <laughs> <laughs> like, out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, what a great scene. Love it. That's my tops. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, again, more cherry picking from my list. Uh, but I'll mention this one. 
Colleen Dewhurst is the voice of the devil. Like this is Canada's grandmother. She played opposite Richard Farnsworth and Anne of Green Gables. She lived in the seventies. Her summer home was, was, was close to me. She was an icon in the eighties in Canada. Just love this sweet woman that she took time from shooting road to Avonlea in 1990 with little Sarah Polly, this cute farmland, soft CBC, television story about 1910 rural Canada. She takes time from this wholesomeness to do voice the devil. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she, she great voice. Love it. So her that. ex-husband's book. for her ex-husband. Yeah. To call it her ex, ex-husband. So it's just great in all kinds of ways. Um, yeah. And then sort of likewise, I also mentioned the, the killer coming out of the room with the, the lobster claw shears, um, <laughs> the radio woman crawling across the ceiling. Great. Um, but I'll, I'll mention the dream <laughs> on one hand, it's not that great, but on the other hand, it is just such a wonderfully bizarre spectacle, which makes me smile. This dream sequence with angels and midgets. And it's like a Philadelphia cream cheese commercial in North America. As you were, there's <laughs> angels everywhere. It's just so weird, ridiculous, gobsmackingly bad, out of place, but it's good because you've got Sam Jackson and midgets. And well, I guess Larry King doesn't show up here, but you know, the entire Georgetown basketball team and staff there in here too. And I think that there's, uh, there's a couple politicians in here. It's just such a bizarre moment. <laughs> it's <laughs> so weird. Like a, like a, like a TV commercial that someone hired Michelle Gondry to direct because they couldn't have yes. David Lynch. Precisely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. And at the end, it's like Dior. <laughs> Bottomless. Jack, what have you got? Smell like a savage. Oh, um, bottom- Fuck yeah! <laughs> God. Uh, bottom number three, I think, uh, and we, we have mentioned it multiple times, I think the ending bottles out. I, I really do think there's more of a prolonged atmospheric uh, discussion, if that's internal, verbal, visual to take place and just bottles it um i'm gonna go second granted that the director's cut is is obviously was released after william peter Blatty died which was 20 i think it's 2017 2016 and i'm glad it really got the light of day because it because it was always meant to be a thing and then morgan creek allegedly lost it and then all of a sudden anchor bay was like well and scream factory sorry we're like well you know it made some make some money then they found it um, so I'm glad that it got brought to screen, but it is rough. It's so rough around the edges. The sketch—it's just been scanned in. There's just, there's been no um, work on it to actually integrate within the film very well. It just sh- it just shuts off to video or black and white in some cases, which is which is kind of grim. But I hope that it can get a proper restoration in the future. Uh, number one, because I couldn't really think of anything aside from like Fabio and Samuel Jackson being in this film in like weird cameos. <laughs> yes. Um, I was just, I was more disappointed that they, they used the theme tune for like 12 seconds and then just dropped it. I want to listen to the tubular bells. Let's have it on. Let's have it on full. Like, no, can, don't connect, have yes, it on at all. Yes, have it Leading on. The Exorcist Stop it, it you miserable get. You know you love it when it's on. You get all atmospheric. But all jokes aside, I just think it would have been nice to connect the two a little bit more with that. But it's not really the biggest issue. But, but I would have liked the, the theme tune. Yeah, the I theme would tune. vote for that too. Oh, scandalous. Sorry, dude. So, all right, what are, what's on your bottom list? The made this piece of shit are in this room! 
let's let's hear your list of shit. Oh mine. Well, yeah. oh god. Um okay, we're just wearing sunglasses indoors, just saying. Um it's just and yeah, it's a weird piece of direction. It's just like I want you to wear sunglasses. Unless the actor himself goes like my character will wear sunglasses indoors and just okay. And William Peter Bloody goes like no no he fucking won't. And, but no, but he doesn't have the balls to do that. So uh, Jason Miller repeating like the sort of scene where he's just like but Father Dyer's name wasn't didn't start with a K because this is his MO like he s- kills people whose names start with the letter K <laughs> yeah very strange <laughs> <laughs> this is Pulp Fiction one. sort of like airport stand sort of novel novel kind of leverage shitbaggery yeah. okay <laughs> go, and then there's this little scene that goes like Father Dyer's name, middle name was Kevin. <laughs> cut to Jason Miller in the dark going, Kevin. And then <laughs> cut back it's to... the same in the uh, director's cut with Brad Dourif as well. Kevin. And then it cuts away. It's very awkward in both. <laughs> like, Jesus. And then <laughs> the, the, the worst of the worst is just the uh, level of energy emanating from George C. Scott is just frightening in all the wrong ways. Like it's oh my god it's not in the file. Not. (laughs) (laughs) And then I have a line just to kind of just like top it off is just George C. Scott is weirdly anxious in the car. (laughs) Like I said I, I felt bad. I thought he was wheezing. I thought he might have been Having a cardiac episode because he was in the car and like the windows all rolled up. And all he wants is to have a have 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 just like relieve himself, but he's just probably pressing against his stomach. It's just very uncomfortable for him. And he's with a colleague, so yeah. And he's just he can't really <laughs> rip one in the car because there's a colleague in the in like in, precisely side, there's a cameraman somewhere on the on the outside. He's gonna ruin everyone's afternoon if he does this. He's just like George, not again. It's Mr. C. Scott to you, Clive. Uh, okay. Oh, I'll get into my bottoms. Okay, so a dishonorable for the dream sequence. <laughs> for the same reasons it was great. It's in here. Another dishonorable. It's part of the carp story, to be honest. But he mentions my mother-in-law's in town. And if you look at George C. Scott, as I do in this film, I'm like, oh my God, this guy looks 90. So if his mother Scott, if his mother-in-law's in town, how old is his mother-in-law? So anyway. jokes on you. He's he's thirty-three. <laughs> this, is, this is what happens Man. when you start drinking at the ripe age of eleven. Yeah, I tell you, <laughs> the eighties weren't good to the man. Um, okay, number three, uh, Scott. At the end, he has a line. He has a line. I believe in slime, and I believe in stink. Okay, George. <laughs> Moving Sometimes on. He makes the writing in The Heretic look kind of sort of viable. Yeah. Yeah, that was a weird one that stood out. Evil. Um, it's num- evil, evil in us. In all. Evil. Number two, Blatty loving his dialogue too much. And I use the example of the carp swimming in the bathtub story. May the Schwartz be with you. Clearly, he just watched Spaceballs. You know, so <laughs> it's not That's that That's actually funny. a good one. It's actually uh, a good one. Like, may the Schwartz be with you. I like the sort of the wink, wink, P- Bill Blatty being kind of like, ah, oh, you know, let's be meta. 
Yeah, it's here, there, and everywhere. And then, and then number one is the exorcism that doesn't need to be there. Uh, <laughs> so that's the number. Although it kind of just goes weirdly for like half a second into like Hellraiser territory. <laughs> that's sort of what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. All right, made it to the end of this double episode. Exorcist 2, The Heretic, not streaming anywhere in Canada. In good. The US, <laughs> in the US, you can enjoy it on Max. It's streaming there. In the UK, not streaming, I don't think, anywhere. So there's Fuck that. Yeah! <laughs> the Exorcist 3, you can track down. I think it's on the Criterion channel. I watched it on Tubi. I think it's on Shudder as well. So it's all over the place. In the US, it's on Prime and Hulu and Peacock. There's an, an Arrow release, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Is it? Yes. Because that's where the director's cut you can find, right? Yeah. <clears throat> there you go. And But I don't think it's streaming anywhere in your neck of the woods, is it? It's probably going to be on Arrow Video Channel, right? No. Okay. Just let me just quickly double check. I, just hold that thought for a second, just I, before you. I, I did adjust. Just hold it, it in, just like George like C. Scott. George C. He Scott wanted, in the car. Yeah, he wants. He wanted to just rip one. He would just like no, hold it in, and he did no, it for a it month, in. and then all of a sudden he goes like, "This is how he, like you know, like Robert De Niro would just go on like a pancake diet to gain weight." I'm, I believe that George C. Scott was just slim, but his like acting prep for a, for an overweight man included eating a lot of this is a cruciferous foods, <laughs> foods like broccoli, cabbage, and onion, and just, just always it. holding it in, hold it in until he just looked like <laughs> he bloated. H i i hold it in. Okay. Is there an error release? What do you got for me? Just give me a second. No, it is not available. You can rent it, but no. Um, but yeah, no, it's not on Arrow. Yeah, it's rentable. You can find it on DVD um, as well. So, uh, where can we find us, Jack? Where can we find you? You can work? find me on the Twitter and on Letterbox, <laughs> as well as ClapperLTD.co.uk with the username at JetLukeSharp. Perfect, Jakob. <clears throat> You can find me uh, letterbox as Jakub Flash, flashonfilm.com. I am currently not active on Twitter, even though my account is kind of there. But you know, at Talk About Film is where you can go and reach me and send me a DM. And f- some uh, every every now and again, I go and check. And then, if you're on flashonfilm.com, by the time you're probably listening to this, maybe my uh, my little piece I'm trying to kind of just concoct in my head about how pandemic movies are period pieces now. Uh, maybe will be available to to read and wonder like what is this guy smoking cool that's me yeah cool all right you can find me on the x at randy burrows i don't do much there i mostly just watch uh but you can find me there you can reach me there i'm on letterboxd at bratch seven um you can find me on my facebook group island film geeks uh and you can Check out our website. You can reach Jacob and me at uncutgemspodcast.com. You can also find all of our stuff there, info on all of our stuff and us. And next week, meet us right back here where we will discuss The Exorcist prequels in another double episode. So The Exorcist, The Beginning, and The Exorcist, Dominion. So for now, that's it for us. Have a great week. Amen. (laughs) Go, Ronda. Did you hear the ambulance pull up?